does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Matt. Matt is going to be, uh, you know, Matt's going to be our guy going in Saturday, and yeah. So he's, you know, I'm planning on him, him going and practicing well this week and going in and uh, going to play a good game against uh, against the Vikings here Saturday. Now they're physical. Um, the the switching and the physical nature of the game made it difficult for both teams. You know, we shot 35 percent; they shot 38. You know, I could get into a thing about how. You know, we were a little unlucky to start the game with them having no team fouls in the first quarter, but I'll abstain from that. I mean, what's the point? You know, you look at the at, at where it is in the end and the fouls look even and all that kind of stuff. You know, this is classic Eastern Conference basketball. I mean, I completely hate candy corn. Uh, <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, well, gummy bears, let's see. Uh, gummy bears for sure. Sour regular the, the, the hair bow. It's got to be the hair bow ones. And then uh, the other thing I like is uh, is when they used to have the, the uh, sprees in a box. Outstanding. You have to go to the dollar store to find it, but I do. And then the latest, the, the latest, you know, there's still candy innovation, although a while back I found that Europe had better candy than we did overall because <laughs> they have gummy everything. The uh, you know, they have those Nerds Clusters, which is new. The gummy. Yeah, which is good. The Nerds Clusters is good. And then if you go chocolate, uh, probably Almond Joy. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. The voice you just heard, rest in peace to a legend. Mike Leach changed the sport of college football forever with the air raid offense. Passed away Tuesday from complications to a heart condition. He was 61 years old. I know it doesn't impact necessarily Indy directly, but if you're a fan of college football and you follow the game closely, at a minimum, Coach Leach made you laugh, made you chuckle, but also helped you learn more about the game and had a good time doing it. On top of that, you look at just his historical numbers, and I didn't realize this until, you know, obviously everything is going to be about Coach Leach today, as it should be on on ESPNU and on SEC Network and and all around outlets that cover college football. But four of the nine highest single-season passing yardage leaders in FBS history, seven of the top 26, came from quarterbacks coached by Mike Leach. Brennan King to my right. I am Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison doing the work behind the controls. College football lost a legend today, BK, or yesterday, I should say, and uh, or this morning, I guess. Tuesday was when it was officially announced, so... Tough day for college football, but a lot of just strong, incredible, not only memories, but impacts and all the lives and countless men that Coach Leach impacted over the years. You know, just as we grew up, Jimmy, probably watching YouTube clips of Randy Moss mossing people in college or other college football highlights. I mean, kids that are being born today slash through, let's call it five years old, they're going to be watching clips when they're in college getting ready for a party of probably air raid offense and unbelievable catches that were made under Mike Leach. So, I mean, man, that is that is super sad. And I, I think everybody knew how serious it was when uh, you saw the tweet saying that maybe Mike Leach needed a miracle. Mike Leach was airlifted to um, a much larger hospital get to get more urgent care. Um, you know, I, I'm somebody that has lost a, a, a big male figure in, in my life, so I 
prey and I think about the Leach family. But, man, uh, you could probably think that uh, Mississippi State, they're going to not only honor Mike in the best way possible, but, I mean, that guy brought a lot of relevancy to that program in the SEC because when you saw Mike Leach on television, you probably stop and watch, especially if it's a halftime interview and probably especially if they're losing at halftime because you know he's about to have a classic line. I, I was telling Eddie when we walked in, he, he he had that Halloween candy little spiel. He also had a little spiel. I'll try and find it later of like, <laughs> when you get married, the groom is at to the biggest disadvantage because your mom's going to go crazy. Your bride's going to go crazy. Her mom's going to go crazy. Her bridesmaids are going to go crazy. And I'll try and find that letter because that's an instant classic. We, we won't take up all the time today, but uh, there's another one you could look up uh, from 2019 while he was at Washington State. Uh, he went through the list of different mascots in the Pac-12 and who would win a battle royale. Uh, <laughs> that one's a classic. So Somebody just, from the humor standpoint, if that's what you're into, plenty of just hilarious moments during Coach Leach press conferences. And then again, just what he did for the game of football. College football loses a legend today. Mike Leach passed away at the age of 61. We stay with college football and we transition more locally as the Purdue Boilermakers have their man, BK. Ryan Walters, defensive coordinator at Illinois, who oversaw the nation's number one unit for much of the year. The next man to lead the Purdue Boilermakers football program. Your initial thoughts and in general, at a minimum, it's great that Purdue has this done now because with Transfer Portal being an active part of everybody's lives that on top of the fact that <laughs> you got to hit the trail you got to be ready for their bowl game assuming he's well i guess i take that back i know Brom's gonna lead that one um but for purdue your initial thoughts on ryan walters and the move that will essentially be named the next head coach over at purdue well clearly this guy deserves it and you're not going to take anything away from his resume. You just alluded to it that Illinois had the number one scoring defense in the country, one of the best defenses overall, and that's tough to do in the Big Ten, especially with the schedule they play. So per ESPN, he's going to be the fourth youngest coach in FBS football behind Arizona State's Kenny Dillingham, South Alabama's Cam Womack, and Oregon's Dan Lanning. Jimmy, I'd like to see the pulse of Purdue football fans this morning and into the afternoon because for you I was or at least I was under the impression too that they needed to do something that would move the needle and to me moving the needle meant bringing in somebody with head coaching experience now the resume for this guy Ryan Walters great under Bielema at Illinois they had a great season I'm somebody from the state of Illinois look they had a great season but Walters may have turned this thing around in Champaign. Their track record, though, for continued success, if Walters stayed there, I don't buy it. Illinois football, much like sometimes we talk about with Indiana football, quite frankly, it's been a joke. Illinois football has. They brought in Lovey Smith. They couldn't do crap. Ron Zook had led them to their previous winning season. Ron Zook in the early 2010s. That was when Butler was going to Final Fours, Jimmy. Now... Maybe Ryan Walters is going to be a great head coach. But you're telling me that this guy is going to win recruiting battles against Luke Fickle and Matt Rule and Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh? I don't see it, Jimmy. Look, off the bat, I would agree with you just in terms of name recognition alone. And if you're looking for somebody to go in right away and being 
recognize and establish to your point with a true pulse. I agree, but I value myself as not being hypocritical and I defended, I know they're different programs, but I defended the Marcus Freeman hiring by Notre Dame last year, a guy with no prior head coaching experience and I gave him a fair shake and to this point, at least with what he did on the recruiting trail, brought Notre Dame their in terms of next year, their best recruiting class in school history. And on top of that, they've had a strong season, all things considered. Now, I know those are two totally different programs, right? When you think Notre Dame, you put them more in the likes of the tops of the sport. And Purdue, not the tops of the sport, right? More middle of the pack. They made a Big Ten championship game this year. That's not to say that they aren't a true contender within the Big Ten Conference, but let's be honest, Michigan and Ohio State aren't going anywhere. And as we talked about on Friday, Brendan, USC and UCLA are knocking on that door here in a couple seasons. So does it worry me initially that it's not a big name guy, that it's not a flashy higher off of the top? Most definitely it does. But I am willing to give both Purdue, and I do believe they ran an exhaustive process in searching for the next head coach, and both Ryan Walters a fair shot at this job because if he's proven himself in one place, that's the nature of these businesses. You continue to step and you continue to get better jobs. I'm not going to knock the man. Uh, I am with you, though. It's not initially your reaction is not going to be this guy's going to go out and out recruit all the names you just listed off. You and I both love Notre Dame. Yes. Marcus Freeman was put in a much better position than this guy's going to be put in because Marcus Freeman worked under Brian Kelly. Sure, Notre Dame lost some recruits, but Marcus Freeman was still able to go to the houses and homes of the families that the people Brian Kelly recruited and say, look, I I worked under this guy, and now I'm going to take it over, and now Notre Dame, which is what you and I believe, and maybe Kevin and a few others at this station, maybe that's it, of what we believe is a um, top five relevancy program in college football. Um, Sorry, Purdue is not. And the people that are leaving Purdue, recruits, I don't know if this guy moves... Coming from an average team in the Big Ten West to be the head coach at Purdue, I I, I don't know if I'm even listening to this guy. If I'm I'm an 18-year-old kid. I'm putting myself in the mind of an 18-year-old kid. Well, that dives into the psychology of it, which is... That's very hard to read on an 18-year-old kid to your larger point. But also, why did they commit in the first place? Was it Brom? Did they have pull for Purdue? Was it his belief in his system he'd established there? Probably for a large number of them. Because at the end of the day, you'd like to think that... It's easy to say this and not acknowledge NIL because that matters in college athletics now. It but does. But if we turn the clocks back a year or two just to get a better baseline here, I'd like to think that when a player commits... It's either because they really like that the, the university as a whole or they like the coaching staff and they like what they're going to do for them in their football dreams. So I agree with you on that. You're going to be behind the eight ball to some extent. And I do agree with you also that because Freeman was already in the building, easier play on Notre Dame's end than what Purdue's going to face. I would also argue, though, and in regard to, as you mentioned, Purdue not being in the same breath as Notre Dame or Michigan or Ohio State, expectations are going to be let's give this guy an opportunity to take what we have and either keep it at baseline or build it up to new heights. That's that's the expectation in my mind, and I assume whenever Mike Babinski has this introductory press conference, uh, once the 
decision is officially passed by the uh, board at Purdue, at least per ESPN. That hadn't happened yet when that news broke an hour ago. The expectations, I don't think, are going to be sky high, but they're definitely going to be at a point of, we don't want to regress to where we were in 2016. Brom built this thing back to being a, a relevant program in terms of a team that you're thinking of, that you see on the schedule, like that's going to be a tough matchup for us. And this is a team that we'd like to backdoor way into a Big Ten title or continue to set school record for wins. It's tough to gauge a first-year head coach what they're going to bring, but I'm not going to knock Purdue for giving this guy an opportunity. Particularly, I know Purdue is, you know, I'm not saying Colorado's a top job, but if we're trusting ESPN's reporting before Deion Sanders came and swooped in, he was a top candidate for the Colorado job. Now, again, that's a program that's looking to rebuild entirely. Purdue already has a solid foundation, but... My larger point is I, I don't think they just plucked this guy out of thin air. I think that Walters deserves an opportunity to be head coach. But it is going to be fascinating to see how the recruits respond and how he forms his recruiting classes, not just for this year, but beyond. I'll give everybody a shot. I'll give anybody a shot. I am not a judge type of person. Um, I want to see your body of work. But in any college football community and in most college environments – Minus a few that are in big cities. Let's call it a USC-type feel, maybe a Miami, where maybe college sports don't move the needle, but those are still very relevant in their communities. Most of the time, Jimmy, when you get a college football team in a town, that's all the town has. Look, I might want to think that South Bend loves their South Bend Cubs, but South Bend's another Notre Dame town. Blacksburg's a Virginia Tech town. Charlottesville is a Virginia town. You can go on and on. West Lafayette is a Purdue town. But when it comes to diehard fans, more often than not, Jimmy, they don't have the patience that maybe we would. And whatever happens with this guy, God love him, best of luck to him. I would argue, Jimmy, that more than half of recruits that come in today commit for the coach and not for the school. And maybe that can have something to do with NIL. But most of the time, I, I don't think kids commit to the school anymore. They commit to the coach. And that's fair, but that the 50% is off to what you just said, NIL. I bet that number is skewed largely now because yeah, sure, now that people sure. are able to offer that. It's, but it's, still, it's the coach yeah, no, saying it, it what they can right. have. Correct. And, and again, BK, without knowing Walters, I, I've never talked to the man, right? I, I don't have the ability to answer that question for you of, what his stump speech is, or what his speech, what his uh, his speech is when he's in a recruit's house and he's regarding them as a top tier candidate to help his program. I, I don't know what those meetings are like with Coach Walters because, as you mentioned, even though he's helped with that process over at Illinois, this is his first time in the big chair. So on the one hand, the flashy hire is great, but also Purdue isn't in our larger goal here. That same vein of. Michigan's or Ohio State's Notre Dame's. That's the third time I've said that in this segment because you can't always woo in top-tier coaches to come to this program. But in a way, Jimmy, they made the Big Ten championship game. They did. That's how Brom leaves them. This, to me, not to give a baseball analogy, but this, to me, is like a Chris Woodward being hired by the Texas Rangers, Rick Renteria to the White Sox, Dale Swain to the Cubs, a, a guy that's going to just 
keep you treading water but won't elevate you. It, you need somebody that just knows how to run the ship. Maybe he does. Maybe having the best defense in college football will give him the ability to succeed in West Lafayette. But off the bat, it does not show me or maybe others that they're getting back to what Brom left them at. I don't disagree with you. I don't. Uh, and I, and I totally see where you're coming from. And if I'm a Purdue fan and you want to, or if you're a Purdue fan and you want to say, I'm frustrated at this hire, I wanted a bigger name or I wanted somebody that, that can keep us at the level that Brom got us to. Those are all fair and valid. I'm not going to sit here and say that if I was an 18 year old and the defensive coordinator from Illinois is now the head coach of Purdue and he's coming in to keep me as a recruit, I'm not going to act like that. I wouldn't have second guesses about it or maybe think, Hey, I don't know if that's the place that I want to go, but And this is the same thing we talk about with the Colts all the time and how I'm stressing that they need to go get a quarterback, right? In the draft. They need to go and and make that chance and take a chance on that. This is why Mike Babinski's there. This is why they have him as athletic director is to make decisions like this and whoever helps him in those decisions to present the best candidate forward. So I understand maybe I'm looking at the more optimistic view here. And by the way, I'm not a Purdue fan. Uh, If you're not watching on the YouTube chat, I have an IU shirt on today, right? I, I, I went to Indiana. So uh, I could very easily dance on on Purdue today. Never done today. Who'd they hire? (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, though, Babinski sees a guy that has been around the Big Ten Conference, that has been around college football, that is young, that is energetic, that he feels can bottle up this enthusiasm and energy that the program has had under Brom and either take it to new heights or continue to have them in the conversation for the Big Ten Championship. Let's be honest. Once... USC and UCLA come walk through that door and this thing is no longer divisions and it is just a free-for-all standings table. It's not gonna it's really not gonna matter. Purdue's window to make the Big Ten championship goes from once every now and again to once in a blue moon, at least in my mind, once USC and UCLA arrive. You just brought up a great point. When when the Western teams come in, I mean add Ship Kelly add Lincoln Riley to those recruiting battles. I, I can't believe that we're even saying that Purdue's in a recruiting battle against USC. That, that's just improbable yep. to think about. Yep. No offense to West Lafayette. Great community. A lot of fun stuff. The bars are great. You, you, th- you think a kid's moving to West Lafayette instead of L.A.? But here's the thing, though. How often are those coaches going to be recruiting out in the Midwest? And on top of that... Well, I think Lincoln Riley is a little bit of, better, of a better base considering what he has done prior... He, he has the connections through what he Fair. has done at Oklahoma. Fair, but if you're Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly, you're the only two teams on the out in the West, that on the West Coast, that is, that, that's in the Big Ten. So how many kids do you think you really need to go out of your way to the Midwest, where the predominantly most of the Big Ten is, to go recruit? Well, if you're smart, they better. Your they, thought, they better hit the Midwest. Your thought is if you're Lincoln Riley is that you're able to now, because let's be honest, three and four star recruits that are going to go to Purdue aren't necessarily the guys that are going to USC Fair. or UCLA, Fair. but your overall worry if you're a Big Ten school right now looking at, again, this is still what, two years away before that happens? Two years away before? Yeah. yeah. That's still down the line. You can see the exit signs, but we're not there yet. But your worry is that the top tier of those Midwestern pipelines, your five-star guys, that's more an issue in terms of five-star and four-star people. Michigan State and Ohio State are worrying about. That's not as much the base that Purdue is worried about. And again, that's not to say Purdue can't occasionally land a a high four or five-star player, but they don't necessarily need that to be competitive and have their brand of football. That's why 
we always joke about uh, in general where the rankings come from and how legitimate they are. A lot of coaches will tell you you throw them out the window once the football season starts because they don't matter anymore. What you did in high school, you can throw it in the trash. You're now at the big leagues at this point. This is a whole new ball game. We're no longer taking what you did as a senior at whatever, right? That's, that doesn't matter as much. You're going to have to build your program based on the players you think, regardless of how they're ranked by ESPN or 24-7 or whatever, you're going to have to rank it based on how they fit your scheme and what you think they do for them. So I don't think there's going to be as much lost from USC and UCLA for a school like Purdue. That more impacts Ohio State and Michigan, teams at the very top of the conference. I'm just a little bit more nervous about Purdue and IU from a recruiting standpoint because of the individuals and personalities that lead the programs out west. If it was if it was Clay Helton instead of Lincoln Riley, if it was Jim Mora instead of Chip Kelly, I'd feel a lot more comfortable because quite frankly, Clay Helton led USC to a bunch of average years. Notre Dame got a bunch of wins over they them. They did. Jim Mora did not have UCLA anywhere near relevancy. Well, Chip Kelly's offense, that's been pretty good in LA. Lincoln Riley, his quarterback just won another Heisman. And that's probably going to continue because how many Heismans does he have now in the last decade? Yep. Are we at four? Four Heismans in the last decade for Lincoln I Riley? So. I mean, goodness gracious, Jimmy. So uh, will Lincoln Riley and Chip Kelly be spending all their time in the Midwest? No. But if they see a five-star kid that they can swipe away from an Ohio State or Michigan that Purdue is just trying to stay above water with, they're going to come in and they're going to steal I, again, said this earlier. I don't disagree with you with that. Those are all very real and valid worries. But if you're a Purdue fan, you can't afford... And if you're, if you're Coach Walters, you can't afford to... He's not thinking about that. He doesn't he, care at all regarding what, I get it. what Lincoln Riley or what... He should take care of his own business. Because and, you're the head coach of the Purdue Boilermakers. Yeah. And, and he, again, he was a finalist uh, for one of the top assistant coaching awards this last year. He's he's acknowledged as a as a top tier assistant within the Big Ten. I have a hard time initially, and I, I know you feel the same way in this regard, casting the judgment of oh this guy's not going to be able to handle this job because again in the past I've gone to bat for first time head coaches getting an opportunity to build their program. Uh, you you make a great point in regards to as we mentioned Marcus Freeman in a similar situation with Notre Dame probably had a better step up in terms of he was already within the program and was a voice that could speak to that. But also, look, man, we're, we, you and I are, are in the business of broadcasting. Anybody that works in sports of any kind, coaching, media, whatever the case may be, the opportunity to advance your career in any, op, in any chance, you want that shot. And at least in the coaching realm, there is a clear path at least usually how to do that, which is whether you're starting as a linebacker's coach or a running backs coach, and then you're eventually uh, moved up to a coordinator of some kind or maybe quarterback's coach, and then an OC or DC, in this case a defensive coordinator like Walters, and then ultimately you hope that your pitch is good enough to woo university. So I, I see the issue of not a flashy name, but I'm also very excited, and I think a Purdue fan should be excited to see what's next. You're like, okay, I can buy into this guy. What's his first move? How many of these recruits that are uh, in the portal now because Brom left, how many is he going to scoop up? How many does he want to scoop up? What does he do to fill those voids? That That's all the like uh, like Christmas morning type deal to me if I'm a Purdue fan is finding out what's next. I'll end with this on, on the Purdue stuff. That, look, I don't know Ryan Walters. I have never heard an interview with him. I'm sure he's a bright young guy. Again, he's 36. He's getting a head coaching job for a reason. 
he had the accolades at Illinois when it comes to the defense. Illinois has had a track record of being terrible. If they have a great record next year, good for them, but I don't buy it in any sense that they'll come back next year and be able to repeat this because that's what Illinois football has been. My thing is, he gets the job at Purdue, which again, went to the Big Ten Championship. He's leading a relatively large program that has had some success because of the guy that just went to Louisville, Jeff Brown. Typically, in college sports, whether that's hoops or football, Jimmy, we've seen this a million times, that a guy that has been a top assistant, if he wants to go be a head coach, he's going to have to go grind his teeth somewhere in Conference USA or the MAC or the Big South or, or something. Something that, uh, in college basketball terms, something that gets one bid to the NCAA tournament. Something in college football that there's no way in hell you're competing for a college football playoff, but you might go to the pinstripe bowl if you're lucky, okay? But an assistant coach from an average Big Ten team taking the job in a key situation, trying to lead Purdue through what probably will be one of their most stressful couple years in program history, trying to stay afloat, I just think he needed somebody with head coaching experience, and I'm eager to see what happens with this guy of how he's going to lead the program. I am too. I'll, I'll also close one thing because I know we have Alex Golden coming up here in a moment uh, to recap Pacers Heat last night, but the last six Big Ten title games have been won by either Ohio State or Michigan. The others, The other side of the division, like I hate to say it, nobody's hanging participation trophies up at any of those programs, whether it's Wisconsin, Northwestern, Iowa, or Purdue, which has been the teams that have faced off against Ohio State or Michigan the last <laughs> six years. I can understand that I'm kind of, <laughs> I understand I'm cutting down Coach Brom on the way out the door, but they backdoored their way into that Big Ten championship game. That's great they made Absolutely. it there. That's great they made it there. And I understand that they actually made that game a little interesting for two to three quarters of football. Nobody legitimately gave them a shot to win that game. And that's not something that if you're a Purdue fan, your expectation, like I'm not, I'm never going to get mad at a fan for, yes, we want to make it to the Big Ten championship game and win it. Or a coaching staff that says, we are going to win the Big Ten this year. I'm all about goals, setting them and trying to reach those goals. Purdue, for me, realistically, is not an every year in the Big Ten championship team. So I, I, I you and I have thrown that in there today, talking about where Purdue has been. That's great. They've been there since the Big Ten Championship game was a thing in 2011 onward, it's their first time being there. Like, that's great they made it there. That's a nice accomplishment. But that is not a norm right now for Purdue football when they backed their way in there and needed a ton of help to get there. It's great it happened, but that's not an expectation for me if I'm a Purdue fan. They're going to make it to the Big Ten title game every year. One little antidote to you two. Yes, Eddie? His, his dad was the quarterback at Colorado when he was growing up. His babysitter, Eric Bieniemy. Hey, wow. there you go. Hey, Jimmy. So it's a Is he a head coaching right job? I don't know, man. I don't know. I hope he I, does. I'd like, we play I like this like musical chairs every year. With yeah. like, I, it's is been, this guy leaving Patrick Mahomes? It's been five years, uh, and every other OC that's been under Andy Reid in that tenure has gotten an opportunity somewhere, but for some reason, Biennemi can't. So. But to be fair, I mean, he truly has probably the biggest job cushion in sports. For as long as Patrick Mahomes is their quarterback. And, and as long as he wants to be the offensive coordinator, he's he going to have that job. He probably gets paid pretty but nicely, I, but too. I, but, I, but I'd like to think he probably has head coaching aspirations. No doubt about it. But still, I mean, I mean, yeah, you, you not, ever want to feel comfortable about yourself and your job? You, you, could, you could pull a George Costanza, put your feet on the desk, and and buy George Steinbrenner some calzones. You know? <laughs> not a bad fallback at all. 
We are going to take our first break. We come back. Uh, Rick Carlisle said it best. Felt like a 90s Eastern Conference matchup between the Pacers and the Heat as the Heat take care of business over Indiana. Alex Golden of Setting the Pace going to take some time with us coming up here in just a moment. Dane Brugler, top of the hour. I apologize. I, I put the tweet out wrong. Got too excited last night. Dane Brugler, 1 o'clock, going to take us through what could be there for the Colts when it's their turn to pick and what he's hearing from scouts around the league in regards to the draft and where the order is starting to set up as well. All that and much more upcoming in just a moment. But first, Alex Golden going to join us at the bottom of this hour. Next segment, in fact, on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Were we watching a scene from The Last Dance last night at Cambridge Fieldhouse? Defense! I mean, Chris, I'll tell you what. Chris Denary practically took the under yesterday when we were talking to him. He was begging us to take it. Begging. But I, I think Chris mentioned he thought it would be in the 90s. Not the case. Was it 87-82? It was. Do I have that right? Good God. 20-18 to 18 in the fourth quarter. Fewest points the Pacers have scored in a home game since 2015. How does that even happen? Goodness gracious. Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison around the horn. Glad to have you with us on the fan. This is one of the smartest dudes that you're ever going to talk to about the Indiana Pacers. It's our pal Alex Golden joining us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the MowerShop.com from the Setting the Pace podcast, which is an excellent listen, by the way. Hey, Golden, give me your impressions about last night. Well, you give me a lot of praise there saying I'm one of the smartest guys talking Pacers basketball, so I got a lot to live up to. But with that being said, yeah, last night I was in the building. It was a very tough game to really get into because not a lot of offense. And this Pacers team we know can put up 70 points in the first half. And then to just drop 82 points, it was a bit confusing. And Tyrese Halliburton having his worst game probably of his career offensively. I mean, he really just wasn't able to get it going. But, yeah, I felt like Miami's defense – was really good last night, and it really put the Pacers in a tough situation because similar to, to Miami uh, with Indiana, they're not great half-court offensive teams, and that's why you saw such a slowed-down game. And, and honestly, I just feel like the Pacers, with the way they're constructed, they like to play fast, get out and run, and when they're unable to do that, that's when things get really tough for them because they just don't have that guy that's able to put the game away, and that's what we saw Jimmy Butler do late in that fourth quarter. He was able to create some opportunities there and get to the basket, and that just kind of sealed the deal for the Pacers. Alex, they give up 136 to Brooklyn in their most recent contest before that, and you could hear a frustrated Rick Carlisle a post game after the loss to the Nets, wanting more defensive just energy and effort established. They clearly did that in this one. In terms of what you saw from their defensive game plan and on top of the fact that, as you mentioned, they got a lead at one point in the second half, uh, had a five-point lead, I believe, and then Heat went on there another big run, a nice big run by Jimmy Butler in that stretch as well. How did you feel they did their best to contain Butler after 
Carlisle was very frustrated with the lack of defensive effort uh, against the Nets in their previous matchup. Yeah, I think you have to look at the, the change you made in the starting lineup for first things first. Uh, putting Aaron Neesmith in the starting lineup instead of Jalen Smith, I think was a smart move, especially against the Miami Heat team. That is pretty small. Uh, matching all of Turner's minutes with Adebayo's was a very smart move as well because Adebayo had a great game, 22-17. and 17, And still, it felt like the Pacers putting Miles out there gave them a better chance than, than playing an Isaiah Jackson or a Jalen Smith. So I think just kind of going a little bit smaller was smart, being more switchable on defense. Obviously, having Turner as the rim protector, it's always going to be tough for Jimmy to get to the rim with Miles out there protecting. But I think throwing different looks at him, I thought Andrew Nimhard has been – he's been fantastic all season, but last night I thought he was really impressive defensively. He just knows how to navigate screens. He's good at switching and not biting on pump fakes, you know, didn't get in foul trouble. I think he was a big uh, part of that. And I also think Benedict Mavrin played pretty good defense last night as well. That's one thing that he's actually improving improving upon this season early on and, you know, becoming more than just a scorer. But still, uh, yeah, defensively they were able just to, to play as a team, play their play their scheme well. And I think Jimmy Butler uh, just didn't he's – not, he's not been a great shooter so far this season. I don't know if he's still dealing with injuries or whatnot, but – you know, uh, his his numbers were, were decent, 50% from the field, but it all came late when, when it mattered the most. But for the majority of the game, I thought they held him in check pretty well. Of note, Jimmy Butler did not play the last time the Heat and the Pacers matched up. Pacers won that one in early November, 101-99. Heat get him back last night, 87-82. Alex, something you said in your answer there was the matchup between Miles Turner and Bam Adebayo. Miles, a double-double. Bam Adebayo, a double-double. I think there's been some conversation in recent years, especially since DeMontis Sabonis left, that Miles typically, or not typically, but oftentimes when going against a, another star center maybe has seen his game regress a tad. What have you thought about him this year when it comes to defending some of the best big men in the NBA? This is by far the best season we have ever seen from Miles Turner, and that's not hyperbole. I think he's been awesome. I think he's really protecting the rim at a high level, shooting the ball incredibly well from three-point land. This is his style of offense that he likes to play. Being able to be the solo center has freed him up quite a bit, but at the same time, we know it's a contract year, so you have to keep that in mind. Miles is is really playing as hard as he can for that bag. And he does fit this Pacers team and what they're trying to do. But the reason why there's been so many talks about him getting traded, especially this season, is because we don't know if he wants to resign here or not. So a lot of indications point to he wants to test free agency, see what he can do. He's got a lot of important skills that you want in a big man for today's NBA with the ability to protect the rim. Uh, He's been much more efficient on the glass. He was not good against Brooklyn. I thought that was uh, one of those things where you just kind of watched him play got out of position a lot, wasn't really worried about offensive rebounds that were happening because he was protecting the rim, and then there wasn't that second side help there to try to keep guys crashing the glass. And so that's one of those things. He's focused on that. But going up against Bam Adebayo, this has always been a matchup that's been very competitive because I believe Miles was selected over Bam for, for FIBA a couple of years ago, and Bam took it personal. So, yeah, you can say Bam had the better game overall, but Miles really stepped up, stepped up there in the second and third quarter to get those numbers pretty even and really help get the Pacers back into the game. Alex, you mentioned those trade rumors for Miles, and obviously Buddy Heald has been involved in that mix as well in terms of you're packaging something. I'm not even talking about the early season rumors with the Lakers. I just mean as this team continues to find out 
what they're going to be the rest of this year and and beyond. They're obviously fun right now, right? They're fun. They're competitive. Uh, These games are way more uh, interesting to watch than they were a year ago. But in terms of it being a contract year for Miles, if you were running the team, would you be making a move for him at some point? Or is this a valuable piece if they are a true playoff contender this year? Yeah, I mean, if they're a playoff contender, I think obviously you consider keeping him. But at the end of the day, no matter what, if he does not sign that extension, you know, before the deadline, you have got to trade him. You cannot lose him for any uh, for nothing, right? That that's where this thing gets really interesting. He's playing great for this team, and he fits in well with Tyrese and and the group they have. Um, he, he fits in great seamlessly, actually. I mean, I think he's been a fantastic fit. Sure, you'd like him maybe to be more of a low post threat, maybe maybe a better rebounder for sure, but. I think what you've expected from Miles versus what you've gotten the last previous years, he has taken that leap this year. So, yeah, if you're able to keep him long-term and you're able to come to an agreement that makes sense in terms of contract-wise, then you do it. I don't think he's worth a max. I don't think he's worth more than $25 million a year, in my personal opinion. So if he wants more than that and he wants to seek that out on the open market, then you have to find a way to trade him because it doesn't make sense to, to lock him up for more money than maybe you think he's worth. And I think the Pacers are smart about that. They know going into this, there, there's, you know, there's a good chance he's going to leave in free agency. So no matter where they're at, whether they're under 500 by 10 games or they're, you know, five seed in the playoffs or a playing team, they've got to trade him if he doesn't sign that extension. Alex Golden with us on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and the MowerShop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Hey, Golden, Victor Oladipo back in the building yesterday, honored, I think, before the National Anthem is what I read. Your thoughts on the tribute video and then the, I guess, the mixture of cheers and boos that you heard. Yeah, so I was actually entering the arena as that was playing. I was a little bit late to the game when I was coming into it. And, uh, yeah, you hear a lot of – you actually heard cheers in the uh, in the hallway there uh, of Gamebridge Fieldhouse after that video played. So it wasn't like an overwhelming applause, but it was – you know, like almost like a kind of golf clap applause. Like people appreciate what he did, but obviously it was a one season type of thing. And how he left was probably not not the greatest. He said a lot of things that just didn't uh, sit well with fans. And I, I honestly didn't care if people cheered or booed. It's your choice to do what you want to do. I didn't do either because I didn't really care either way. It's it's time to move on. That was like five years ago. But it felt like when he got introduced into the game. The majority of the boos that I heard came from Turner's block. So I don't know if that was an orchestrated thing to do by the people that uh, are a part of Turner's block. But other than that, you heard a few hand claps here and there, but it was nothing significant. So for anybody that said there was like a smattering of boos or, or, you know, an overwhelming hand clap, no, it was pretty mad. Nobody really seemed to care that he was back. And it was about as uh, impactful as his performance last night, which is getting five points. I mean, that's why I think people just don't care because it's like, at the end of the day, it was the the best thing for the Pacers for him to just be gone from this team. Alex Golden, nice enough to take some time with us here on the Mower Shop in Fishers Hotline. Go to the Mower Shop in Fishers or themowershop.com for all your residential, commercial, mowers, snowblowers, you name it. They have it for you at the Mower Shop. Alex, we had an opportunity to talk to Chris Denary yesterday, and he mentioned the parity involved, particularly in the Eastern Conference, where a half a game or a couple games is all that separates uh, the top seed in the conference to the bottom, or at least in terms of playoff seeding anyway, or play-in seeding. Uh, Pacers currently after the loss sit at eight, uh, just behind the Hawks 
as you observe this team through the first third of the season and obviously taking into account last night, I didn't think this team was going to be good this year. I think a lot of people are pleasantly surprised at how they've started the season. Where do you view the Pacers through a third of the way? Are they a legit potential playoff team or is this team that's closer towards the back of the pack that just had a nice run? Yeah, I would say the latter there. I think when you look at this team, they've lost six of their last eight. It's uh, They had a really nice schedule in November, and I think that a lot of us overlooked that, how many days off they had in between, how many home games they had. And to be frank, they had a lot of teams that they played have injuries to key players, which I do think kind of helped them get off to a better start. Now, you can't discredit how well they've played. They've played incredibly well when teams are healthy and they've been competitive. So they've been better than expected. There's no doubt about it. But I still think this is a team that misses the playoffs. They will probably miss the play, and they're going to be in that 11-15 to 15 range in the Eastern Conference, which, you know, it's not the end of the world. I mean, I know a lot of fans want to see them probably in that, Detro- in that Detroit spot where they're at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, right, hoping to get the best chances to land a guy like Victor Wimbanyama. But, you know, I-, I think you have to just realize building a culture, establishing – you know, good habits, which they've done already this season. Uh, I think that far outweighs the latter and losing a ton of games in hopes of getting somebody because there's not a very high percentage that you're going to land Wimbanyama. So I think it's smart to, to, to do what they've done so far and, and that's go out there and be ultra competitive and try to win as many games as possible. But I think eventually you're going to see where, where the schedule evens out, talent evens out, and you're going to find out that this Pacers team, while they've been fun and while they were an early season surprise, most people were right in the early season predictions. This is not a team that's going to be a playoff bound team. And if they get to the playoffs, it's cool for their experience, but they're just not ready yet. In my opinion, overall with, with their talent to, to really be a playoff contending team. We've actually built a prayer shrine in the corner of the studio with candles <laughs> and a big picture of Victor as, as we pray every day that, that the tank is on. Just kidding. So uh, Alex, I mean, you, you take into account, what the Pacers are going to have through Christmas. This is what it is. Golden State on Wednesday, Cleveland on Friday, the New York Knicks on Sunday the 18th, at Boston on the 21st, at Miami on the 23rd, and then this is really sneaky, at New Orleans on the 26th, who arguably has been one of the best teams in the league over the last couple weeks, and then that's a back-to-back. you got to go to Atlanta, then two days later play Cleveland two days before New Year's Eve, and then on New Year's you got the Clippers. When do you get a break in that section of the schedule, Alex? You really don't, unless maybe Boston sits like four of their starters to give them some rest. Who knows, <laughs> right? I mean, that's the only way the Pacers are going to have an easy uh, easy game coming up. Like the Knicks, I-, I think that's a winnable game, obviously. The Knicks have been kind of, you know, middle of the pack. I-, I think the Warriors give the Pacers a good chance to play their style, which is why I think the Pacers had the upset against Golden State and, uh, and San Francisco is because they do play a similar style to how the Pacers like to play, and that's, you know, up-tempo, a lot of threes, a lot of layups, hardly any mid-range. But, yeah, you're right. The only team currently under 500 on this schedule that they'll be playing is the Miami Heat, who just beat them. So it's not going to be easy, and, and they're going to have their hands full. And I think by the end of this month, you're going to get a, a, a real good idea of what this team is going forward. And it might not be pretty, but, you know, I just I, I want them to be competitive in their losses, right? And uh, I want them to be competitive whether they win or lose. But I think – the, the blowouts that you saw on the road trips, like the 16-point the loss to the Blazers, the 20-point loss to the Jazz, you don't want to see a lot of those games. You want to see them be in them, uh, whether they win or lose, because that, to me, is establishing a, a good habits and, and creating a good culture 
But you don't want to see them lose a ton because that's just going to weigh on them like it did last year, and I think fans are going to lose interest. So hopefully they can sneak one out, but I, I think the one that feels the most realistic is probably that Knicks game at home. Alex, last thing. I know attendance was a bit of a question last year, and rightfully so. Again, the product on the court just didn't meet expectations. But the Fieldhouse last night uh, on a Monday against the Heat, quality opponent, Oladipo, pretty good environment in there? I think every game that I've been to, you've seen a pretty good environment here. I think fans are excited about this young team, a lot of young talent to get behind. So last year when you went to games, it was tough. There was way many uh, – there was a lot more open seats last year than there were this year. So I think the direction the Pacers are heading, it does get them a little more uh, – it's got fans more excited for, for what, what product is being put on the floor. And I, I'm glad to see it because it's a, a breath of fresh air and – it makes probably Pope Simon feel better about this team going in a different direction than maybe he had hoped for. Alex Golden, he is the man, the host of the Setting the Pace podcast. Check him out. Give him a follow on Twitter. With us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snow blowers, commercial and residential blowers, plus service and power tools. Thanks, Alex. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, guys, for having me on. We'll see you. You got it, brother. Alex Golden with us on the fan. Plenty of good stuff coming up this afternoon. Dane Brugler is going to join us at the top of the hour, 1.30. It's the head coach of the Illinois State Redbirds, Ryan Peden. That is my mom's alma mater, by the way. So I grew up on some Redbird hoops. Mike Chappell at 2 o'clock. I'm sure Chappie will break down everything we heard from Jeff Saturday over his introductory press conference this weekend. Again, Matt Ryan continues to be the starting quarterback of your Indianapolis Colts. You can give us a follow on Twitter. Join the conversation if you'd like. I'm at BKing Sports. Jimmy is at VJ Cook. Eddie is at Eddie Garrison underscore. We'll continue the conversation next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Jimmy Cook, Brendan King to my right, Eddie Garrison behind the controls. Big news of the day, Purdue hires defensive coordinator Ryan Walters as their next head coach to replace Jeff Brom, who left to become the head coach at Louisville last week. Mind BK's thoughts on that, as well as our conversation with Alex Golden after the Pacers fall to the heat. 87-82 last night, available on the podcast. Find them wherever you get your podcast. BK, we shift gears now towards the Colts. And I know we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but Jeff Saturday makes comments to the media, as you would expect after the bye week yesterday, and stresses the fact that Matt Ryan is the starter for this team. Uh, We went kind of in depth on that yesterday, uh, a day removed from it now, and taking into account that, this is a Vikings team that has struggled at times against the pass, but it's a Colts team that has struggled to pass the ball. So it's 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 one of those, uh, what's the opposite of unstoppable force and immovable object, but but bad instead? I don't know what the... What, unstoppable force, <laughs> immovable, immovable, immovable object, object. But, but negative instead. Because oh those, are, those, are, those are compliments, and uh, you could argue 
well, you're not putting the Colts and the Vikings in the same breath because the Vikings are a Super Bowl contender and the Colts Honestly, are trying for the lottery. But at the same time, BK, Jeff Saturday wants to win these games. Jobs are on the line. Uh, any needle movement now 24 hours later on Matt Ryan still being under center for you? No, it's just the same exact feeling that it's just a perplexion. And I, I believe I've really thought about it over the last 24 hours, Jimmy, since we last sat in, the, sat in these studios. I truly believe it's Jeff Saturday just trying not to P.O. Matt Ryan and just give a potential future Hall of Famer his due diligence, which is the Adam Vinatieri effect, which is whatever. I mean, you've seen it happen in a league oftentimes. Uh, by the way, immovable object, unstoppable force, Bartolo Colon. Yep. Indeed. Well done. Big set. That's perfect. That's Big perfect. set, yeah. True. <laughs> no, I... And it doesn't make sense to me that Nick Foles is the backup because Nick Foles is going to do the exact same thing that Matt Ryan would, probably with a little less efficiency if that's possible. I've always said Nick Foles is good to win you one game a year. He will win you one game a year, usually in comeback fashion. When you're down in the second half, he will lead a fourth quarter comeback. That will then lead the entire sports media community of that city to say, Nick Foles is back! Super Bowl MVP, he's here to help us. And then he's going to get shut out next game. That 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 is what happened yep. with Nick Foles in Jacksonville. He won a game. That's what happened with Nick Foles in Chicago. He won a game, and then he stunk. So uh, to me, having Nick Foles as a backup is just so that you don't pee down your waist. Um, because clearly they don't feel good about Sam Ellinger. I mean, you don't have to be a psychologist to read that, right? I, they they beg for the this guy at one point was the starter for the rest of the year. Coach gets fired. New coach comes in. Coach commits to Matt Ryan. Coach still commits to Matt Ryan. Coach doesn't dress Sam Ellinger. Uh, it's a musical chairs game that just has to be over. I preface my thoughts yesterday, and I'll do it the same way here. That the theory, at least from people we've talked to, is that. They still have a small percentage chance. I guess I was wrong on the 1%. I guess it's 3% for the Colts to make the postseason. So Is it 3%? I, I saw some tweets yesterday wow. saying it was 3 So, so, so increase. Tell me increase that's a chance. 2%. <laughs> Look, if that's it, if that's genuinely it, and there's a true belief within West 56th Street that this is a team that's capable of making the playoffs, okay, woo, let's go. Let, let's get it. Let's get after the Vikings, and let's keep those dreams alive. If that's it, and that's why Matt Ryan is under center, because... I do think, BK, he is the only starting caliber quarterback on this depth chart. I, 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 I do. And, and, and I'm not I'm not saying that that's a good option to be in, but you look at who they have, it, Matt Ryan is the best option, and that's saying something, unless you want to see what Ellinger can do over a three-game sample size to close the year. And the only way I'm willing to back off of that is if, after they lose this week, it is Ellinger that is under center the final three weeks of the season. If he's not under center and he is not healthy, that is a clear message in my mind. This is not our guy moving forward. Uh, we need to go find it elsewhere, whether that's free agency or hopefully if there is a God through the draft. I want you guys to listen because I pointed this out and asked you guys this question yesterday about is Matt Ryan only the guy starting on Saturday because there's still a 3% chance like you guys just talked about that the Colts can make the playoffs. I want you to listen to how Jeff Saturday addresses that Matt Ryan is starting. See if you hear the same thing that I hear. I, this is from Colts. I want to clarify one thing because you gave us some lists. It's from Colts.com. Sorry Correct. to cut across you. But um, we talked about this leading into the show. I know you have two clips with Jeff Saturday referencing he's the starter. Is this him saying he sure hopes that 
he is the starter, or is this him saying he is the starter? Is the starting okay. quarterback? Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Matt, Matt is going to be, uh, you know, Matt's going to be our guy going in Saturday, and yeah. So he's, you know, I'm planning on him, him going and practicing well this week and going in and uh, going to play a good game against uh, against the Vikings here Saturday. Did you guys hear what I hear out of that? I hear it's a one game. Yes, one game deal. Is yes. what I hear from that's that. What from I, that from that one snippet. That's a one yeah. game start, and then. Whatever happens, happens. Eddie, can you play the shoulder soundbite? Which one? There's a couple. Jeff Saturday says Ryan has told him his shoulder isn't affecting. I haven't heard this yet. Uh, yeah. You ready? Yeah. When when he and I have had that discussion, he's been he's he's told me he feels good. His arm feels fresh. No fatigue. No issue from the injury. Uh, and the, and that uh, you know, no no play is being affected because of it. I mean, that's like Rocky in the corner being like, I can go one more round. Look, he's had if you're if you're into PFF, they track quarterback hits and it jumped out to me because Kirk Cousins is leading the NFL with sixty seven quarterback hits to thirty three sacks this season. That's he's remarkable. Fifth actually. in that margin is Matt Ryan with forty seven hits to thirty five sacks. This was not what was promised to him. I'm not saying that players shouldn't be able to overcome adversity, that's fine, but Everybody knew what Matt Ryan was in Indiana the last three years. Or sorry, in Atlanta the last three years. And when he came here to Indianapolis, the thought was these were greener pastures and just you're going to have protection and you're going to have time. And yeah, it's one thing to point to Matt Ryan and say he's washing. Sure, maybe he is. But he's also a quarterback that knows that the <laughs> the water is coming in and it's either time to abandon ship or go down with the ship. And he's pressing at times. A lot of his turnovers are him pressing or trying to make plays happen that he shouldn't be in situations where he needs to do that. He should have protection. That's what was promised to him. It's not a perfect game. You're going to have injuries happen. But, yeah, I do. I, I think this was a it was a wasted year for all parties because of how much the offensive line and then, in turn, how much Matt Ryan let things down as the year went on. You just mentioned it. The offensive line. I was... I was personally hesitant about paying Quentin Nelson because of his injury history. Since Braden Smith signed for $72 million, he's gone nothing but downhill. All respect to Ryan Kelly. I sympathize with him so much. But Ryan Kelly just has not been the same player since things happened. Um, God love him. But this is business, Jimmy. And uh, Eric Fisher didn't work last year. Matt Pryor is a turnstile. That didn't work. I'll stick with Ryman. I'll stick with Fries because they're young. But... Everybody else on this highest-paid offensive line in football has been a disaster. There's no other way to say it. There's no way to sugarcoat it. There's no way around it. It's a massive disappointment. And again, I don't necessarily have NFL fatigue, but you still have (laughs) four weeks, both if you're a team that's ready for the playoffs or if you're a team that is just hoping to see what happens with the draft. That is the reality of it. Still four more weeks to get through of all this. Uh, We are going to talk plenty of Colts-Vikings as the week goes on, but... We on this show like betting. We're betting the Colts are not going to be a part of meaningful football in January, which is why we have Dane Brugler on next of The Athletic. He's going to give us his thoughts on where the draft is shaping up and what might be available when the Colts make their selection. Dane Brugler of The Athletic is next. Jimmy Cook alongside Brennan King here on The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, 
and everything in between. Cook and Brennan King here on The Fan. Joining us now on the Motor Shop in Fisher's Hotline. It's Dane Brugler of The Athletic. For those of you that don't know Dane's work, you can get it on The Athletic. And when he does mock draft season, it's not the same as, say, Brendan or I sticking our heads together and saying, oh, this team should take this guy or this guy or this guy. Dane talks with scouts and front office personnel from around the league that he's established over the course of his time tracking the NFL. He's on the fan pretty frequently across our shows the closer we get to April, maybe a little earlier than usual this year, but he's outstanding and we look forward to talking with him now. Dane, thanks so much for making time for us. And how are you today, sir? No, I'm doing well. I always enjoy uh, hopping on with you guys. And yeah, like you said, it's a little earlier than I think we're used to talking. But, uh, you know, that's just the reality of the Colts and where they are. And so it's going to be a fascinating offseason. Dane, it's all fluid. But the top question, at least on my mind, regardless of where the Colts end up, is, and again, I'm not a Colts fan, but I know Colts fans that want an answer at quarterback, not just based on where they're supposed to pick, but just based on what you've heard from around the league. Let's say the Colts are in that 7-10 to 10 range. Realistically, from what you're hearing from scouts and from team personnel and front offices, is there going to be a quarterback available for the Colts if they end up in that 7-10 to 10 range? Uh, there very well might be. Um, this is just such a fascinating quarterback class because of, of the split opinions uh, from team to team. Uh, you know, you'd have Bryce Young from Alabama who – has so much that you want at the position from his instincts to his accuracy to his processing, but he's a complete outlier in terms of size. And that's going to be an issue for a lot of teams. And it's not just that he's small, it's he's historically small. Uh, Going back the last 25 years, 301 quarterbacks have been drafted. Of those 301, only two were under 5'11 and under 200 pounds, like Bryce Young is. And neither were drafted top 100. So, you know, it, it's a complete outlier. And some teams are just, they're not going to be on board with that. And, and so it'll be really interesting with Bryce Young. C.J. Stroud is not universally loved. I, I think that when you watch Stroud in rhythm within the context of that Ohio State offense, it's it's very easy to uh, be optimistic about uh, the way he operates, the, the accuracy. He can carve you up. But when things fall apart and he has to make plays outside of structure, that's where the question marks come up. And that's why, you know, he's not a locked top five pick like a lot of people think that he is. And then with Will Levis from Kentucky, he's got plenty of fans around the league because it's not what you've done. It's what you're going to do. And he's got a lot of the traits that will translate to the next level. And it's, you know, there's a lot of Josh Allen comparisons. There's a lot of uh, optimism of what he could be. So, Honestly, I, I think that based off of my talks with teams, I'm, I'm keeping a very open mind with the order that these quarterbacks are drafted, um, how early. And I mean, I also throw Anthony Richardson in there as well, the Florida quarterback, who is a redshirt sophomore, one-year starter, as raw as can be, but a complete freak show in terms of his natural ability. 6'4", 235. Uh, probably going to run in the four fours. Um, he's got a, a huge arm, can do so many things, but he's just not there in terms of accuracy and uh, a lot of the little things that are important at the quarterback position. So it, it's a really interesting group of quarterbacks, and it's not as simple as, oh, well, you know, he's definitely going one and he's going two. It's just, it, it's not, that's not how teams are looking at this quarterback class. 
Hey, Dan, it's Brendan, and you mentioned keeping an open mind about quarterbacks. I feel like in your business, quarterbacks go up and down like the stock market often. Mm-hmm. But when you look at recent years with Josh Allen going later than others, with Justin Fields going after 10, with Lamar Jackson help being in the 30s, uh, is that why you have to keep an open mind? Just because of what you see now in the league with what these guys like a Allen and a Fields and a Lamar have turned into? Yeah, I mean, really, go back to the last 10 years. Uh, you know, the quarterbacks that have been drafted in the first three picks. How many of those quarterbacks have actually hit? It's really Joe Burrow. And, I mean, maybe if you want to include Jared Goff in that discussion, but it's not a great hit rate. It's 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 really not. And so... Um, you know, a lot of those teams picking at the top of the draft, if you're not in love with one of these quarterbacks and you feel like you're not, you're, you have some job security where, you know, you're not uh, going to be forced to take a quarterback by ownership, then, you know, if you're the, the Panthers, if you're, um, you know, the Seahawks, uh, if you're the Texans, maybe you go with uh, Will Anderson from Alabama, Jalen Carter uh, from Georgia, and you, you find a cornerstone at a, at a premium position outside a quarterback, build up that roster, and then, you know, it, it's just – if you don't love these guys, I could see a lot of teams doing that. And, you know, last year we had one quarterback drafted in the first 73 picks. And so it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, talking to teams over the summer, I got a lot of the same responses. And, you know, teams are willing to be patient because they didn't love those quarterbacks. In past years, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter, they would have been overdrafted in the late one, early second round, but the teams were more willing to be patient in last year's draft. And as teams look towards next year's draft, which I know people hate to uh, hate to hear that necessarily, but Caleb Williams, Drake May, J.J. McCarthy, Quinn Ewers, uh, there's a, a lot more optimism about the 2024 quarterback class. And because of that, I would not be surprised at all if we see – some of these teams picking in the top 10 that we, we see as maybe needing have a drastic need at quarterback, choosing to be patient because they don't love these guys and think they can wait one more year to draft one early. Dane Brugler, nice enough to join us of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at DP Brugler. Dane, Colts fans obviously want to have a quarterback in here by the time April's draft arrives, and they'd like it to happen within that draft. But the other major need, at least on the offensive side, in my mind, even though Bernard Ryman has played better as of late, would be a long-term answer at left tackle. I know that it's been about two or three weeks since you released your mock draft on The Athletic, but you had Paris Johnson Jr. at Ohio State uh, rumblings of pegging him at seven for the Cardinals. Uh, Has he moved up at all, or is that about the range that you expect him uh, to be at in terms of uh, needs from teams across the league? I think that's kind of right where he is in in that top ten range. Could go, you know, could go earlier. He plays a premium position, and we know obviously a lot of teams need help a tackle. Um, ironically enough, if the draft were tomorrow, based on the current order, the Colts would be picking seventh. Um, so you know they might be in that that range if they wanted to draft uh, an offensive tackle. And with Olu Fashanu, the left tackle at Penn State, with uh, him choosing to go back to to school for next year. That to me, Paris Campbell is the the best true left tackle in this class from Ohio State. He just his body control, his fluidity for such a big man is so impressive. Um, you know, he's still learning in areas, but his issues are all fixable, and they're really more of a product 
of a player who this is his first year at left tackle uh, since high school. Uh, they played him at guard last year, uh, just trying to get the best five on the field. Uh, but, you know, it's his issues are due to inexperience and not lack of ability. So this guy has a lot of the tools that translate to the next level and say he's going to play for a long time in the NFL. So Paris Johnson, if, if the Colts want to go with an offensive tackle in the top 10, I, I think Paris Johnson would be uh, tops on that radar. Dan, this is my last question on the QB front. So. In your tweet this morning, or that was from a couple days ago, actually, uh, you had the Texans updated 2023 NFL draft order, Texans at number one. We were talking about the AFC South quarterback picture yesterday with Davis Mills and then Jeff Driscoll seeing quarterback time for Houston. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a mess down in Houston right now, quarterback-wise. We were talking about Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville and you know how long Ryan Tannehill is going to be in Tennessee. Colts are going to need a quarterback, obviously. But whatever the Texans do at one, if they draft a quarterback, could that really kind of open the floodgates with others maybe feeling pressure than needing to trade up? It's really going to be interesting because, you know, you guys know it's beauties in the eye of the beholder when it comes to quarterbacks. It, it, you know, we can have 31 teams that would be out on Bryce Young, but if the Texans are the one team that say, you know what, we're okay with the lack of size. Uh, you know, it's as long as we feel okay, like he's going to be able to take care of himself and not take these big hits, we, we feel okay with it. And, you know, Bryce Young's the number one overall pick. So uh, it, it will be interesting to see how each team looks at these quarterbacks. And, you know, I think, you know, these teams in the top 10 are picking in the top 10 for a reason, right? And so a lot of these teams will have a need at quarterback. Um, and it's interesting of the currently the teams picking in the top five, three are via trade. Uh, you know, with the Seahawks owning the Broncos pick at number two right now, the Lions at number four owning the Rams pick, and then the Eagles, who, you know, they could very well win it all and still have the top five pick because they have the Saints uh, draft first round draft pick this year. Uh, but when it comes to the Texans, you know, it's they're really a wild card because Nick Casario, the GM, we don't have a, a sample size with him drafting a quarterback early. You know, in all those years, he's been in the league for 20-plus years, never had to draft a quarterback early in New England, obviously because of Tom Brady. Um, you know, we just don't know what does he what, – what are his uh, priorities at the position in terms of what, what he looks for to a young player. We just don't have that, that frame of reference with, with Nick Casario. So, um, you know, the head coach, obviously, Levy Smith, he's a defensive guy. You know, we, we just don't know what – which quarterback they might prefer. And so there's a lot of unknown right now uh, in terms of what direction the Texans might go there at number one. Dean, I've got one more on that quarterback aspect as well. And I, I love that phrase whenever it comes up around prospects of beauty being in the eyes of the beholder because you just don't know what team's going to end up doing and as an ownership that's going to come down and make the final decision on that. Is it the general manager that's going to have the keys to the car? When you look at Scouts you've talked to and how they're analyzing just specifically C.J. Stroud for a second. He's going to have a big, tough test, as real as it gets in terms of uh, obviously nothing is going to be what it's like at the NFL level, but in terms of a high-powered defense, that's what he's going to go up against with Georgia in the college football semifinal. How much of that is a final test for scouts in terms of where they see Stroud as an NFL-ready top-10 draft pick? Yeah, there's no doubt. And and listen, you know, scouts, they they're not week to week guys, you know, they don't, it's not like those of us in the media who tend to do that week to week and, you know, rising and falling and that type of thing. 
scouts are body of work. You know, they that, that's how they operate. But it's just human nature. If C.J. Stroud were to go out there uh, in, in the playoff game, semifinals, against Georgia, uh, arguably the, the most talented defense in the nation – and be productive and have this big game lead the Buckeyes to to an upset win. I don't see how that couldn't um, you know affect how teams think of him and what he's able to do in that big situation. And really, when you think of uh, C.J. Stroud, uh, has never beat Michigan as a starter. Uh, the last two years, they they, they uh, came up uh, just short, and you know he just he has a few you know good wins you know at Penn State and uh, against Notre Dame, but you know to do it. In a, in a stage like that against a talented defense like Georgia, that, that would certainly go a long way. And, and you know, it's funny because we know, uh, you know, teams think a certain way about uh, players right now, but once coaches get involved, once, you know, you get to the combine and you can actually sit down with these guys and GMs and coaches and get one-on-one time with th- these quarterbacks and find out more about them, their personalities, and, uh, you know, is he going to fit our culture? Like, things are constantly changing. So, you know, it's mid-December right now, and, you know, even if we thought we had a good idea of how teams think about these quarterbacks – it's all going to change once these coaches get involved. We're going to have some, you know, fluctuation with the front offices around the league. It's really going to be interesting to see these quarterbacks and, you know, how the, the ebbs and flows throughout the process. Dan Burgler is joining us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Dan, here in Indianapolis, Frank Reich was fired. That was a matter of about a month and a half ago. Chris Ballard is still around as GM, not known if he is still going to be the GM when the season comes to an end. We'll find that out, I guess, in four or so weeks. But with the way that Ballard has run the ship here in Indy, he's made it very clear that he values certain positions over others when it comes to the draft, just like any other GM. But Ballard does it in a little bit of a different way where he likes to build in the trenches, and he really loves building that defensive line. I mean, the Colts have the highest-paid offensive line in football after drafting very well initially. Hasn't worked out in the last year or so. But I guess Ballard's mentality when it comes to drafting, kind of building in the trenches, and what we have seen as of late, I mean, from last year's draft, Drake London going number 8, 10 through 12 was – Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jamison Williams. You throw Jahan Dotson in there, Traylon Burks, too. Uh, Is Ballard's focus in the draft kind of an outlier from what we've seen in recent years? I don't know that it's necessarily an outlier. Um, and, you know, it's we haven't really had a chance to see, um, you know, him pick early these last, you know, last year. And um, But I do think, you know, you look around, you know, Joe Douglas with the Jets, you know, he's he's a guy that prefers to build in the trenches. Now, he's had multiple first-round picks, so he also had the opportunity to go get a quarterback, go get a corner um, in Sauce Gardner. But, you know, he still wants to draft offensive linemen, defensive linemen. I, I think we see that a lot. I mean, Howie Roseman with the Eagles, uh, you know he wants to draft defensive line. So, you know, I, I think it's a common trend with, with a lot of GMs. And, you know, with Chris, uh, he he believes in the, tra- in the traits. He trusts the traits. Um, and it's something that I, I learned from Chris uh, back when he was in Kansas City, um, you know, and I had a chance to, to learn from him and talk with him. Is um, You know, when you watch the tape and you see a player do something once, you know he can do it. And so it, it's something that – uh, I, I know that that drives him, um, you know, watching this tape and, and watching these players and understanding, okay, does he have this ability? Does he have this talent? And, I, I, you know, he does like to go in the trenches, and I certainly understand why, but 
there, there's no doubt this team needs, um, you know, in, in a lot of different areas, they need to get better. Um, but if the Colts were to go back to the defensive line, uh, there's going to be a few appealing players that I know Chris will have his eye on, especially in the first round. A guy like Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. This guy, uh, you know, is 6'6", 270 pounds. He's going to run really well. He's really long. Um, you know, it, it might be hard for him to pass on, on a guy like that in the top ten. Dane, I want to look kind of big picture with the whole draft, and I, I know you haven't even begun to, to mock out uh, other things outside of the first round, but just from conversations with front office personnel and scouts, where is the value position or the, or the depth position in this year's draft, not just in the first round, but the perceived, I guess, early indication from scouts of where there's going to be a ton of value on the board? I think edge rusher, um, you know, obviously we'll see a couple of these guys go early with Will Anderson and, and probably Tyree Wilson, who I just mentioned. But I, I think that in the late first, second round into the third round, so between picks, say, you know, 20 and 80, that 60 uh, pick stretch, we're going to see a lot of pass rushers. Uh, come off the board, guys that are really talented and, you know, for one reason or another aren't considered blue chippers, but they have a lot of ability and they're going to project as guys that could be disruptive at the next level. So I think I think pass rusher uh, in that, um, you know, late first round to mid third round range. And then also this is going to be a really strong group of tight ends this year. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, a lot of people want to say Michael Mayer is going to go in the top 10. I, I, I'd be very surprised at that. Um, I, I think, but you know, between picks 20 and 60, we're going to see, uh, you know, maybe five, six tight ends come off the board. It's a really strong group. And then even into the third round guys like, you know, Sam Laporta and Iowa, Luke Schoonmaker, Michigan. So tight end, uh, I, I don't think we're going to see one go super high this year with no Kyle Pitts or uh, TJ Hawkinson. But, um, you know, once we get to this, the, the back half of round one and then into rounds two, three, four, tight end's a really deep position this year. Dan, where's the running back market for you in 2023? Now, it's actually, I think, a, a really good group. And obviously it depends on the underclassmen who decide to come out. And so we're, we're waiting on those official decisions that are being made right now. But if the underclassmen come out, who we believe will come out, uh, you know, last year we only had three running backs drafted in the top, like, 90 picks. Uh, it wasn't a, a strong group, none in the first round. This year, I wouldn't be surprised if we had as many as um, seven, eight, nine running backs drafted in the first three rounds this year because it's just a really strong group. It starts at the top uh, with Bijan Robinson out of Texas. Uh, he, he's not Saquon Barkley, but he's probably the closest thing we've seen uh, to Saquon Barkley since that draft. Um, and then, you know, Jamar Gibbs from Alabama, uh, Devin A. Chain, Texas A&M, uh, Blake Corum, Michigan. Uh, the top senior this year on my board, at least, is Zach Charbonnet from UCLA, a Michigan transfer, um, Tank Bigsby from Auburn. So, uh, you know, we can go on and on with the running backs in this class that are really, really talented. And, and so it's going to be if you need a running back in this class, you're going to feel really good about your options in the first three rounds. Dane Brugler taking some time with us on the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and the motorshop.com. Go see the Motor Shop for all your snowblowers, commercial, residential mowers, plus service and power tools and so much more. Dane, while I would probably be a little frustrated because I think there's bigger needs and just wide receiver if the Colts went that way. Uh, first one off of your board from the end of last month was Quentin Johnston out of TCU. Um, talk a little bit about his game, what he would bring to an NFL team right away, and then if there's any other uh, receivers that jump off the page for you as, as first-round caliber. And I don't think this this draft of receivers is as um, top heavy as last year's was. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think any of these receivers 
would be one of the first four that were drafted last year. I think, you know, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, uh, Drake London, and, and Jameson Williams would all be drafted ahead of these guys. But there's still plenty of talent in this group. Quentin Johnston is 6'4", 215 pounds, has outstanding size, speed, um, and, and tracks the ball well downfield. Still, in terms of his route running, still learning, still developing, but the talent is, is off the charts. Jordan Addison from USC, uh, the pit transfer, uh, not the biggest guy, but you watch some of his routes and you think, oh, that's Stephon Diggs out there with the way he the way he moves. It's really impressive. Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. Unfortunately, we were robbed of uh, you know his season this year, but he was always in that late one, early second round range. I still think he's going to go in that uh, that area for a team that really needs a slot receiver. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, what he did uh, for Tennessee this year with just pure speed and ball skills, really really impressive. He's put himself. Uh, into the mix to maybe be a first-round pick. And, and then uh, Josh Downs from North Carolina, um, who is very undersized. He, he's 5'10", probably 175 pounds. So he's a small target, but kind of reminds me of Jahan Dotson a little bit last year, where he's a guy that understands how to get open. He finds the blind spot of, of defensive backs, and then he's got really good ball skills for a smaller player. So Josh Downs probably won't go in the first round, but if you need a receiver in the second round and you know you can compromise a little bit on the size, Josh Downs will be high on your list. So it's a running, it's a wide receiver class that, again, not as top-heavy as maybe the last two years, uh, but there's still some quality receivers, and, and we know teams are always looking for, for more fireworks and guys that can you know light up the scoreboard. So uh, we'll see receivers fly off the board in that late first, especially into the second round in April. Hey, Dan, this is the last thing from me about your job itself and the draft. Of course, the draft was in New York for so, so long, and then since 2015 mm-hmm. have been – you know, uh, p- picking up new locations and going around and bringing that to all different kinds of communities. I loved when it was in Las Vegas in 2020, even though that was, you know, a COVID environment. But just your thoughts on the draft kind of taking all kinds of different stops and I'm sure bringing you to all portions of the country and doing what you do. Well, you know, it's uh, if, the, if the league could make money off of it, they're going to, right? And so uh, it's become a little bit of a traveling circus. And it, it, it's cool for a lot of these cities. This year it's in Kansas City. So, you know, it's an opportunity for that fan base to, uh, you know, enjoy, um, you know, something a little bit different instead of having to travel to different places. Um, you know, for me, I, I – I, if I don't have to travel uh, to to the draft, I, I avoid it because it's it's really a fan event. Um, now, the most important thing for me is making sure the combine stays in Indianapolis, uh, which it will the next two years at least. Uh, that's one of my favorite trips every year is going to Indianapolis uh, for that week. I, I learn more that week about uh, these players than I do uh, maybe the entire rest of the year just because of everyone is confined to Indianapolis and it's just such a such a great opportunity. So um, if the Combine does end up moving to, to you know Dallas or Los Angeles or Vegas or wherever, uh, I, I will truly be sad when that happens. But at least we know uh, Indy will be the host site for the next two years. And so I'm, I'm holding on to that. Last question on my end for you, Dane. There's going to be continued reports like this and rumblings over the next couple of weeks, but the thought of uh, Jordan Love maybe wanting to be the starter next year and potentially asking for a trade, regardless of what the Packers do, whether that is honoring a trade request, whether that's naming him the starter and moving on from Rodgers, what would a, a move of one of those quarterbacks being available do to quarterback needy teams? And then speaking on Love, what do you remember from your scouting report on him and how have you felt he's done so far in his small sample size in Green Bay? 
Yeah, well, and, you know, we saw two years ago with, you know, when Matthew Stafford became available, um, obviously a lot of teams were interested. And if that'll happen again this year, and you think about – some of the quarterbacks that might be available with between Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, Derek Carr, will he be on the trade block? Uh, Tom Brady will be available uh, more than likely. Um, and I, I still feel like he's got uh, something left uh, to play for. So uh, there will be some really intriguing veterans out there that these teams can go after. And I, I you know, with all the question marks about this quarterback class, I think that'll be, uh, you know, maybe the, the more worthwhile option is to go get a guy that at least we know what we're getting. We, we don't have to develop a guy and, and kind of hope that he's going to give us something in year one. We know what we're getting uh, with who we go after. So that'll be, that'll be really interesting. You know, obviously the Packers and Aaron Rodgers will sit down after the season and say, Hey, let's, let's figure this out. Or, you know, or do, you, do you want to be here next year? What's the plan? Let's, let's figure this out going forward. And then if, if Rodgers does want to stay in green Bay another year, I do think there's a good chance. Jordan Love uh, will move on. They'll figure out a way to um, honor that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see see how it plays out because Love is a good player. I think a lot of people were surprised when uh, the Packers took him um, in the first round. But there were, I know, several teams that had first-round grades on him. Um, he has a lot of the physical uh, attributes that you want in just a matter of uh, being a consistent decision maker. And so I think we've seen that from time to time this year, uh, especially, you know, this year uh, when he got in, uh, you know, a couple of two weeks ago, he looked good throwing the ball. Um, he had a little bit of movement to him. Um, you know, when he's on time and, you know, he's reading the defense correctly, uh, he, he looks like, uh, you know, you know one, a, a top 20 quarterback in this league. It's just we, ha- we don't have a sample size of that to know, okay, can he do it consistently over four quarters, over uh, a 17-game schedule? So it's still plenty of unknown there, but the ability is there. And, and so I think that'll be really intriguing for a lot of these teams that find themselves in the quarterback market this offseason. Dane, we know that you're the NFL draft analyst for The Athletic. We can find your work there. You can follow, be followed on Twitter at DP Brugler. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, just make sure people have their subscriptions to the Athletics so you can get the draft guide uh, when it comes out in April. It's uh, I, I make a promise that it's the most comprehensive draft guide um, available out there in terms of all the background info, in terms of all the testing information, obviously the full scouting report. So um, and, it, and it's free, included as part of your subscription to the Athletics. So uh, I, I think that alone makes it makes it worth the subscription. So hopefully people check it out. I second that. Uh, I enjoy that. It's a great read every year and the amount of work you put in there. I know it's. Always busy year-round for you. We appreciate you taking some time with us today. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dan. That's Dane Brugler, and you can follow him on Twitter at DP Brugler. Always enjoy getting an opportunity to talk to him and get an idea for where things head moving forward. Man, that was my first time. I probably learned more in the, in the last 26 minutes than I had known about the draft all year. So, I mean, that's some good stuff. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. Head coach of Illinois State, Ryan Payton, going to take some time with us. We'll get his thoughts as we get closer to the Indy Classic, Ball State, Illinois State. Going to be a fun one on Saturday. We'll talk to the coach of Illinois State when we come back. And then at the top of next hour, the great Mike Chappell, the dean Mike Chappell, going to take some time with us at Fox 59 and CBS 4 as we try to get a pulse of where the Colts are at heading into these final four games of the regular season. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King coming to you on The Fan. I'm Brendan Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Gang with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. I can tell you there's one particular listener right now that is enjoying this, and that is my mother, Laura King. She is a proud Illinois State Redbird alum. I grew up on some Illinois State basketball. And the man, the great head coach of the Illinois State Redbirds, Ryan Peden, is now joining us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. The Redbirds coming to Indy. That's on Saturday afternoon at 2.30 to take on Michael Lewis's Ball State Cardinals at Gamebridge Fieldhouse in the Indy Classic. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, coach Peden, it's Brendan. Great to catch up with you. I was actually going to Butler while you were an assistant coach under Chris Oldman and I was the kid in the dog pound that wore that corduroy blue suit so some great memories from my senior year when you guys went to the Sweet 16 and obviously congratulations to you on getting the head coaching job at Illinois State I'm sure you're looking forward to coming back to Indy this weekend. Hey Brendan great great to be with you and uh, and uh, yes we are um, we're, we're very much excited uh, to be to be bringing our team uh, over to Indianapolis I've got, got a great affinity for for the city um, in the facility there, um, that's, that's my, my, I think my favorite, uh, non home arena, uh, that, uh, that I've ever coached in and, uh, been over there many times before. So, uh, I, I love the, the ambiance, the, the stage there, uh, in Gamebridge Fieldhouse. And, and I'm looking forward to now bringing, bringing our ball club over there and, uh, giving them an opportunity to play in a, world-class facility. Coach, I know you got the job shortly after March Madness last year when you and the Buckeyes went to the tournament, but I guess since you arrived in normal, Coach Peden, anything that you really set as goals in the summer that you've been happy with so far through the first portion of the campaign? Well, I, 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 wanted, to keep, I wanted to keep things fairly simple and, and uh, you know, straightforward with our team in year one. I don't want to uh, try to be good at 50 different things. I, I want to be really, really bought in and committed at the things that we feel are most important to winning and that correlate most to winning. And, um, you know, I've, I've told our guys since, since the moment we congregated there uh, in early June as a team was uh, I want our team to keep their eyes on maximizing the ability that's in that locker room, which we control. And I want uh, to create the most committed locker room in college basketball. And uh, both of those are, in my view, are, are choices, you know, choices that we make as a, as a group. Um, they're not dependent on anyone else. Um, um, and and uh, I've been very pleased with, with the, the buy-in, the commitment to being who we want to be. We have, certainly haven't been perfect, uh, far from it. But um, we're, 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 we've got a locker room that's very bought in and committed to what we're trying to do here on a daily basis. And as a coach, I think that's all you can ask for. Coach, it's Jimmy. Thanks again for making time for us today. Uh, since the loss to Murray State, three straight wins for your club heading into the Indy Classic. Uh, what, have you lear- what have you learned from your group uh, the most over that stretch of three wins? Well, and, and, and the three wins, you know, uh, you know, they've all been fairly different games and, and, and highly – uh, different systems and opponents that we face. But, um, you know, I think the, the two things that stand out to me over the, the last three games are our ability to rebound the basketball. That's that's greatly improved since 
since the first, you know, five or six, seven games. Um, and that was something that was really hindering us. And secondly is our ability to take care of the basketball. So, um, you know, both of those correlate to winning possessions. And, uh, uh, you know, over the course of a game, um, you're, uh, the way I view it, you're, you're winning possessions or you're losing possessions. And, uh, unfortunately, those, those two areas were biting us quite a bit early and uh, contributing to, to, our, to our losses, especially the clo- in the close games. Now, um, you know, we've, we've come down the stretch here and been able to win games in the second half uh, and, and in the last couple really win games down the stretch in the last four to eight minutes. So um, uh, pr- proud of our, our guys and their progress, but, um, you know, we've got a long way to go. We're, we're a work in progress like a lot of teams are this time of year, but, um, you know, we, we've we've showed some real good, encouraging signs here uh, in terms of moving moving our team uh, forward in the right direction. The head coach of the Illinois State Redbirds, Ryan Peden, is with us. Myself, Brendan King, and Jimmy Cook. Uh, coach Peden, the last W coming against SIUE 77-71. And as mentioned, my mom's an alum, so I know how much Horton Fieldhouse uh, means to the normal community. I saw your little promo video about getting the students out and wanted a big crowd at Horton. So how was that? How was the environment? And cl- clearly ended up being a big win. It was awesome. Um, it was, It was. I think, way more than any of us uh, that had not seen a game or been to a game at Horton, more than us uh, you know, would have even anticipated. And um, the crowd was awesome. Uh, our students came out. Um, like never before, they were they were tremendous, and it was it, it was a really electric atmosphere. SIUE is a very good team, yeah. really good uh, a team that's probably flying way under the radar. Uh, very well coached. Brian Baroni does a great job, and they've got some they've got some older dudes that are that are really talented. They got a couple guards that can go get you buckets. So um, we we had great respect for them and. Um, the atmosphere in our arena really helped us, no doubt about it, helped propel us there, especially in the second half, and they were treated to a great ball game. But uh, just uh, just being in there, kind of waking up the echoes uh, of the past, having Doug Collins in the house in the front row, and he was there for you know probably 48 hours and had talked to our team, walked us through the facility, talked about his game day routine to our team. It was, it was really a unique experience. Um, for all of us, and uh, it was it was a real treat to be able to play in there and and come away with a hard fought win. Coach, I know you have fond memories of being in Gamebridge Fieldhouse, and and for a lot of us as fans and people that cover events at Gamebridge, we appreciate high quality college hoops taking place in that building. Uh, with this being the inaugural Indy Classic, what does it mean for your program as our neighbors to the west uh, to be a part of yet another exciting and hopefully long term event uh, that the Indiana Sports Corp is putting on? Well, it, it first of all, uh, you know, we played in there in, in some different, uh, you know, obviously venues. I played in the Big Ten tournament there multiple times. Um, played in the Crossroads Classic, which which uh, it's a it's a real shame they're not doing that still. To be honest yeah. with you, that uh, I, I was that was a hell of an event. Yes, and uh, for all schools involved, I, I thought, but um, just uh, experiencing that the Crossroads. This is. Not the crossroads, but um, a version of it, right? I mean, it's a very similar – I think it's the same weekend or a very similar weekend to when the crossroads took place. Yep. Um, 
the buzz uh, that was always around the downtown, the people of Indiana and Indianapolis who I know love, I know how they love and appreciate good college basketball. And uh, it was a true NCAA tournament atmosphere when we played in, in that event. So to play in this Indy Classic, Indiana Sports Corps, uh, Indy Sports Corps does a tremendous job. I, I know that from my time at Butler and have great respect for their place in the city and the, in the sports scene in Indianapolis. But uh, it's a privilege to be able to, to do this. Uh, we, we sure appreciated uh, the invitation. And, and when we, we got in discussions with these guys, I said, let's, no questions asked, let's do it. And uh, to be able to now go against a, a, a very close friend of mine, Michael Lewis, you know, we were both on staff at Butler together, and uh, I love the guy. You know, he's one of my closest friends in the business. Um, we ha- we have his uh, his family's Christmas card up on our refrigerator. <laughs> I'm going to tell him it's it's it's. Uh, I've turned it backwards for this week. So <laughs> a bunch of Chris- there's a bunch of Christmas cards with in one blank card that's uh, just a white back of a card that's sitting on our refrigerator. I'll I'll have to take a photo for him, but. Um, but I, I love Mike and his family. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't love playing against them, to be honest with you, but uh, this opportunity was way too too good to pass up. And uh, we'll have fun with it. I know we will. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a chance for both of us to, you know, learn, learn a lot about our teams and a really a different uh, but unique environment. Coach, I always love when coaches are able to get an opportunity to lead programs and you guys obviously both having your first seasons leading programs this year and you mentioned your close relationship uh can you share a little bit about the communication you guys have had since taking over those programs or maybe if not so much in the course of the season uh what you guys had following the announcements respectively yeah we 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 talked uh we talked quite a bit um you know some some weeks or months a little bit more than others but um we we we're sharing you know, similar, we're at similar points here in our coaching journey, um, both in our first year now of uh, programs that are very proud programs, uh, rich in history and tradition, uh, both with tremendous fan bases that um, are dying to get their programs back um, to a very highly relevant place and, and being a championship level, you know, program. And I've, I've had great respect from afar for, for Ball State and that program for, for many years. I was in the Mid-American Conference for 13 years as as an assistant coach, so a great respect for for their their program. And um, yeah, we've shared a lot of you know similar um, scenarios here. We we bounced things off of each other, and as we were getting started with fall workouts or summer workouts, and um, at, at our core, Louie and I both we've had we've had some other experiences along our journey, but at our core, I know the Butler the Butler way resonates deeply with inside both of us. And, uh, you know, Butler's uh, has had a profound impact on, on my, my family and on my coaching uh, journey here. And, um, you know, I've, I've learned so much at, at that place and have such an affinity for it. And my family does as well. It's the only move I've ever made when my wife cried. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and uh, so we, we, uh, we both, kind of shares a lot of the same basketball values. I know that. And as do all of us, you know, that, that have coached, have coached there at Butler, just texted Micah Shrewsbury this week after they beat, uh, they beat Illinois. And I said, the game honors toughness. And that's yes. a saying that's uh, written on the walls underneath the Hinkle Fieldhouse back in the tunnels by our locker room there. Um, 
you know, that's something that we all kind of hold near and dear to our heart. And, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, really unique experience here. But to be able to tip it up against Louie and, um, and a good friend like that in, in, in Gamebridge Fieldhouse, Sign me up. I'm, I'm fired up, and, and it's going to be a lot of fun. The head coach of the Illinois State Redbirds, Ryan Peden, on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the MowerShop.com. I mean, coach, everything you just said, I love. I mean, as an alum, I mean that that all is terrific stuff. And the game honors toughness. A great, a great quote from Brad and and what he did at Hinkle Fieldhouse. But you know, it, that was a fun team, 2015, 2016, when you and Coach Lou were on staff together, going to the round of 32 against Virginia. But as you said, I, I think you everybody knows that you're a high intensity guy coach Lou is a high intensity guy so I'm sure coach your practices this week have been pretty high energy because you have to know what you're going to anticipate from a Michael Lewis led team oh yeah he's he's uh you know he's a he's had some he's had some great mentors in the business um and and uh I know what Mike stands for and I I know I know uh what his teams will be all about uh, always and uh, we're going to have to be. We're going to have to be ready to roll. And they're they're a very skilled team. Uh, they're tough. They're physical. They've got an interior presence. I know they'll they'll play through the paint. And uh, you know uh, we'll have to we'll have to be really good. There's no no doubt about it. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's it's what, what an atmosphere on Saturday. I, I would encourage all fans to if you haven't made, if you haven't bought your tickets yet buy them you know you got the number one team in the country um the Purdue Boilermakers who I have great 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 respect for and uh, how painter Matt painter does you know has built that program and continued their their history and tradition that they've built up uh, but uh Purdue's a um I, I love watching them play um but there's there's so many wonderful lessons there kind of if you, if you do watch them kind of Hidden beneath the surface, they were they were preseason, not even in the top twenty-five to my knowledge, and now they're number one in the country. Um, I just I admire how they they go about the business and the grit and toughness they play with. And Davidson is is as as we all know is a is a highly respected program on the national scale. So um, they've got a first-year head coach as well, and it, it's going to be a lot of fun. If you're a basketball purist, please come out. Uh, it will be it will be a wonderful afternoon of hoops. And uh, uh, we're, we're hoping to help uh, do our part to, to get that field house rocking. Coach, last thing for me, uh, you've had a chance to coach in a lot of cool places, Big Ten, Big East, you know, all those years at Ohio State after Butler. But, you know, you had a chance to play for uh, a legendary head coach at Worcester and Steve Moore. It's your first year as a head coach, Ryan. So taking over, what has been most different for you and maybe things you didn't anticipate from going from being an assistant at so many cool places to now taking over a team as a head man for the first time? Well, it's a good question. I, I uh, you know, I've been an assistant for 21 years, so I've seen, uh, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, different scenarios, a lot of different situations and uh, at a lot of different levels I've worked for five different head coaches at six different institutions so uh, there's not a lot that I truthfully didn't anticipate uh, walking in the door what I would say um, is probably for me is has been um, something that's caught my attention and surprised me a little bit is you know you, you have to realize as a head coach um, you're constantly setting the temperature in the room and um, the power that that, that that can have over your team. And, um, you know, as an assistant coach, you're not always thinking through that lens. As a head coach, 
Um, I think so much of, of um, you know, your coaching and teaching and connecting with young people is be, is, is going to be built on, um, you know, the things that you're reinforcing daily and the urgency that you're reinforcing those things with. So, um uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed that part of it. There's a real psychology to coaching um, that uh, that I, I appreciate, and uh, and I think that I'm always trying to improve in, in that area as well. I think that uh, the mind controlling the body is so uh, relevant to to our sport in particular. It's not maybe like some other sports where you've got a stopwatch or you've got a wide receiver that can run a route and just outrun guys. Um, there's so much that goes into our game, the synergy required and connectedness and commitment required from a small group of guys. Um, I love it. I really, those are, those are some of the things I love most about coaching, but uh, just walking into the locker room every day and setting that temperature. Uh, that's, that's something that is completely different um, uh, being in the head coaching chair, as opposed to being an assistant coach and, uh, I love it. I love it. And, uh, you know, trying to embrace that at the highest level and, and uh, improve this team day by day. Well, Coach, we continue to we'll continue looking forward to watching your continued success, and we wish you the best of luck against the Cardinals on Saturday afternoon, Coach Bean. Awesome, guys. We're looking forward to it. Redbird uh, Nation will be over there in uh, a very spirited way and, and uh, plan on representing our, our university in a first-class way. So we're, we're fired up to be there and look forward to seeing everybody in Indy on Saturday. Love it. Thanks for the time, Coach. Thanks, Coach. Okay, thanks, guys. That is Ryan Peen, the head coach at Illinois State on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial, residential mowers, plus service and power tools. I mean, Jimmy, I mean, I was about to cry when he was going over the Butler Way stuff. I mean, goodness gracious. Look, you know me. Even though I went to Indiana, my dad went to Butler. We had Butler season tickets for years. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I mean, there I, was a little tear coming. I mean, to, if you want on YouTube, you're going to see me cry over here. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't almost moved tears, I don't think. But uh, anytime, you're, anytime you're getting your alma mater in there and you see coaches that have come from that program and their growth, it's, it's always special, uh, both for... For Coach Lewis and Coach Peden, and I'm just looking forward to that matchup and the City Classic as a whole. It's going to be a great weekend, and that's not even including uh, Purdue and Davidson, which is going to be a fun matchup as well. That might, literally, the Peden versus Coach Lou might be the highest intensity like coaches on the sideline ever. I mean, those, <laughs> those guys get into it, and yep. uh, but there's going to be a hell, of a, sh- a hell of a handshake at the end of that game between two really good coaching friends. Thanks to Ryan Peden for the time. Mike Chappell's coming up at the top of the hour. We'll come back next. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison running the ship on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to The Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Man, with Brennan King, I am Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, doing a wonderful job beyond the ones and twos. Argentina and Croatia set to get underway here in just a second. We teased it for you yesterday, but the first of two FIFA World Cup semifinals tomorrow take place around this time as well. France and Morocco. I told you where my bets lie. I have a number of them out right now, uh, including 
uh, Messi to score and Argentina to win. Uh, I Is did that Ar- actually plus money? Uh, so it, it's not to advance, and I figured it wouldn't no, be. No, Messi minus to two. score. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, so it's plus uh, 120 for him to score. And then uh, since this show itself, uh, and there's various sports books out there, but for just the sake of parody, I'm using DraftKings today. Uh, they have a promo out there regarding you can get Messi to score and Argentina to win inside 90 minutes of regular time at plus 300 odds. So I put something on there okay. as well. Uh, and if you have action there, feel free. Uh, if you're not into soccer, uh, it's still exhilarating and, and we'll, we'll get you going if you have any type of action. Of course, please do that responsibly as always. <laughs> We, I'll tell you what, we got absolutely hosed last night because the Oilers, I'm sorry, the uh, Devils-Rangers over hit easy. They scored six goals in the first period. But winding down in the last seconds, I'm standing in my living room screaming at the TV because the Oilers pulled the goalie at six on five. Two seconds left on the clock. Oilers down a goal. Connor McDavid hits the post. Mm. Ooh. Rip. That was, oh, I, 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 was I was I was an inch away from a 2-0 night. We had the uh, we had the I had the Pacers plus three didn't go our way ended up losing by five. Man, uh, tough for the Hoosiers. Very I mean, tough for the Hoosiers. Heck of a performance. PKs. Yeah. What wonderful wonderful match across the board. Some of those goals were absolutely electric. Oh uh, man, last the, night. the IU tying goal. Yep. I and, mean that was a rip. And then brother. Syracuse's first goal. Uh, from just out, looks like look just outside the box. To be honest, I was at um, uh, I was at the garage and I was watching on my iPad. Um, so I, you brought your iPad to a restaurant. Well, so we went, we, went, we, went, so we went saw a movie last night, right? That's still, and so still a I'm movie. by myself. Whoa, 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 whoa. What, what, what movie here? <laughs> I went and saw Violent Night, uh, which uh, David Harbor of uh, Stranger Things the lead in that. Um, I came in expecting it to be terrible. It was it was terrible and funny. Um, went to the living room theaters right there. Everything they've done over there at the garage um, in that district of town is just phenomenal. So many oh, great food options. Yeah. Uh, highly recommend. But anyway, uh, I didn't know where the shot was from, uh, but just saw it was a, a sick angle that was taken for Syracuse. Great night if you're into soccer. And then uh, switching over again to the other side of the state uh, for top news of the day. Again, as we mentioned it, um, at the beginning, Ryan Walters, defense coordinator at Illinois, now the head coach of Purdue. News from yesterday. Jeff Saturday, names Matt Ryan, continued starter. Mixed emotions, I'm sure, across the board, both from the Purdue fan base of what Walters is going to bring to the table and what the future will hold from Purdue moving forward. And then on the Colts side of things, uh, keeping that three percentage chance alive of making the postseason. You're telling me there's a chance. There is there's indeed uh, <laughs> an apparent chance for the Colts to it's unbelievable. still make that ride. It's just unbelievable. I mean, the Jaguars are playing meaningful games in December. Uh, the the Titans seem to be going kablooey. The Texans stink. I, I if the Texans take either Stroud or Young at one, th- as we talked about with Dane Brugler, podcast going to be up at 1075thefan.com. If Young or Stroud go at one, the draft may just get turned on its head after the first pick, Jimmy. <laughs> You're not kidding. It very well might. Oh, it would. I mean, I mean, the Texans can use pretty much everything, but. I thought Dane made a good point. If they're comfortable with Bryce Young just getting himself beaten up week to week, if they're comfortable with risking that, because we've seen how many quarterbacks have we seen just get demolished and then injuries wreck them. If the Texans feel fine with that and Bryce Young goes number one, that could be tough for the Colts because how many teams would trade up? How many teams have the capital to do that? And how many teams have the more wherewithal and do with all to do that than the Colts? There are many. And that's why we talk about the dangers of the Colts end up winning these games. Again, I understand that people in West 56th, there's jobs on the line. 
everywhere across the board. You're playing for what next season is going to hold for you, along with the albeit life support-like hope that uh, you're going to make the playoffs this year. I, I understand that those are on the line. But yeah, the, the more the wins stack up, if they occur at all these Final Four games for the Colts, and then the draft board is turned upside down, then the Colts are going to be in a boat to move up. And just from talking to Dane and what he's hearing from scouts, BK, I... I don't know how many teams are going to want to trade up to get a quarterback right now because it wasn't. He was obviously in the early stages of what he's hearing around the NFL, but it didn't sound like it sounded like he was linking the idea of young more in the risk of other misses at the top of the draft that have happened at that position over the last couple of years versus saying Bryce Young has the opportunity to be the next Justin Herbert or and I'm, I'm, I'm going low tier there because I think it goes Allen Mahomes of young stars in the sport right now, Burrow, and then you get into Herbert and and that mix. So even for like a fifth or sixth best quarterback in the league type of projection, it doesn't feel like Bryce Young has that right away, at least in terms of what Dane's hearing from scouts. That leads me to think how much movement will there really be for quarterbacks trading up? I don't want the Colts to have to trade up assets if it's not a sure thing or they're not confident in this quarterback's our guy for the future. Yeah, I think Houston is... I think Houston is a little bit more willing to stretch for greatness, you know, take risks than maybe somebody else. That if would I was Houston, safe. I would take Bryce Young. By the way, just I, clarify I, that statement. I would I, too. I think but, you would too. But but if it's somebody else, like if it's a Seattle that ends up randomly getting the first overall pick, right? So I don't think Seattle would have to stretch for like, all right, I don't feel comfortable with this guy completely, but he has this kind of potential. Let me go launch for him. Houston, I think, is in the position where they got to do that because they finally need something to go their way. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison is on the ones and twos coming up next. Mike Chappell will talk all things Indianapolis Colts. Again, Matt Ryan versus Kirk Cousins on Saturday afternoon. That is 1 p.m. Kirk Cousins. By the way, something it is to, to, something to keep in mind. Last hour <laughs> coming up next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. He is the Dean. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Mike Chappell of Fox 59 and CBS4, nice enough to take some time with us each and every week. Here on The Fan, you can follow him on Twitter at mchapel 51 Chappie, I'm not trying to throw your age here, but you've covered the Colts since 84 when the team arrived. Uh, when you look at the idea of starting Matt Ryan and hoping that he's a starter for these final four games, I'm sure that doesn't make the list of craziest things you've heard. Maybe not even the craziest things you've seen this season, but what's your pulse on this situation of the Colts deciding that they want to keep Matt Ryan in there and view him as the best option to still win games? I wouldn't have been surprised if they changed and went to Foles, but as crazy as it sounds, he probably still gives them the best chance to win, which probably doesn't isn't a ringing endorsement of Nick Foles or Sam Ellinger. 
uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's like if he would just quit turning the ball over. Well, you know, we're 13 games in and they're still turning the ball over. So I, I think it's just a case of, again, they think that if they could, if they would just quit with the fumble and the interceptions, that he gives them a chance. And if you look, that's the case. You know, as crazy as it sounds, it was 21 to 19 in Dallas going into the fourth quarter. And then they have all the turnovers. So I, I, I do think he gives them the best chance to win, but that's sort of a bad can of compliment because I just don't think they really put a lot of trust on the other guys. Hey, Chap, it's Brendan. As what Jeff Saturday says, I mean, his job as the interim head coach is to steer the ship and keep things positive and make it sound like things are well at the complex and they're competing to win the last four games. Do you have the sense that that team is still in it, or are, are players checked out? Slash, or is the coaching staff checked out? No, I don't think that. I mean, it's you know you hear the tanking and all that, and I guess if they would go to Sam Ellinger to see what he's got, you could argue that that's what they're doing. But for the fans that that are interested in them tanking, they, they don't need to do things to try to lose because they're they're they're. They're, they're they're trying to win and they're losing if that makes any sense so, <laughs> so it, it's it's not like they have to go out of their way to do things they're, they're just finding I, I i've settled on over the last couple of months they're just good enough to lose they're good enough to be in position whether it's philly or or pittsburgh or whomever throw dallas out of there and then they just don't make the play too often they don't make the play so you know i know players don't check and i i think that's sort of an easy way for fans to, to look at this. And, you know, I, I, I've been around the locker rooms a long time. And these guys only play 16, 17 games. So to think that, you know, that they're really going to ease up or, or, or go half speed, that's just not the case. This is, this is their job. And if they're not trying to be part of this team next year, they're trying to be part of a team somewhere else. And I do believe that it, it, the film doesn't lie. And, and if another team is looking for a free agent next year, and they, and they pop on the tape of the Colts and somebody, and they and they look at this player they're interested in, and they see that he's just not doing it, well, that's a red flag. Why, why would all of a sudden he, he he not check out on you if things don't go well? So no, I don't think these players are checking out at all. It's just that they're not playing well enough to, well enough to win. Chap, I, I agree with you in that regard. I know Brendan does as well. It's There's a fine line between fans rooting for the team to lose and the idea that players that are either fighting for their NFL futures, whether it's contract years for them or whether they could be traded to another team, they want to show they're still NFL caliber players and the same with the coaching staff. So I totally agree with you on that front. I, I think the larger confusion for me is, and just from what you've heard around the building, is Matt Ryan still there because he does give them the best chance to win because they're still a percentage chance to make the postseason and if that is the case if they lose this week and get bounced do you expect to see a shift towards okay let's see what Ellinger or let's see what Foles has for this unit maybe not beyond but still being a part of this roster next year no I don't think they're I don't think Ryan is still quarterbacking because they got the one or two percent chance to make the playoffs I mean that's kind of you know, pie in the sky. It's just that game to game, he gives them the best chance. I mean, it's to, to, to think that, well, now now they're officially out of it, they'll go a different direction. I just don't think so because that's no different than 
the Vikings game. I mean, they got virtually zero chance of making the playoffs. But they're doing whatever it takes this week to win this game. And I just think they do the thing, same thing next week. And I, I, I guess you could argue, let's see what they have in Ellinger. You know, the two games he played, he started, it's really hard to draw much from, good or bad. He played well enough for them to win. Washington, he did. But having said that, I mean, I, I don't know that from that game you can say, you know, and I think he can be a viable starter. And then New England was just a, you know, just a, a dumpster fire. So I, I guess I could argue that maybe they need to see a little bit of him. But I, I think for those of us that have been around him for the last couple of years, we've sort of seen what he is, who he is. So I, I could go either way on him playing over the last week or two. But the fact that maybe they'll be out of it after after Saturday if they lose, I just don't see how that impacts things because they're basically out of it now. Uh, it, it, this is a coach and a staff that's doing, you know, basically putting the best 11 on the, on the field, and we can argue whether Ryan is because what we saw in the fourth quarter and too often this year, you want better. Uh, but I, I just don't know that there's better on the team. Maybe it would be interesting to see Foles play. If they're going to make a change, I, I don't know. I, I, I just come down each way. and If you're going to say, okay, we're out of it, so let's see what we got, then you go with Ellinger so you can get just a better read on him. But I just think it's kind of folly to think that if he plays the last three games – you're going to come away and saying, you know, this guy can be started. This guy's only a back, not only a backup, but a viable backup. It's just a tough situation because I know from being in the locker room, this team is a hundred percent behind Ryan. It is that they, they, they were upset when he was benched uh, after the Tennessee game. Although people need to realize the two games he missed because he was benched, he was going to miss anyway because right. of the injury. So, but it, it's just a tough situation, and you see how he plays when he's brought him back four or five times, and you know if, if that's the guy they can get, he gives them the best chance to win. And then you come up with these two or three interceptions and a fumble, and he's got fourteen fumbles, and it, it's one to where I, I understand arguments in, in, in each direction. But if I'm the coach, I'm I'm putting the best guys out there and saying let's try to win this game and then try to win the next game. The one thing that Jeff Saturday mentioned today is, let's say they get on a four-game winning streak to end the season, you're 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. And going into the offseason, that's going to look pretty good. It's going to look a lot better than maybe what the season was. Uh, so, in, And that record sticks with you. You know, every game they lose, every 54-19 to 19 they lose, that's, that's part of your resume. And I think they really want to try to limit those nasty games as much as they can. Chap, at one point, and this was with a different coach, Ellinger was the starter quote for the rest of the season, or that was the plan. Right. Is Ellinger, I'm sorry, is Foles the backup because they now know or think they know what they have in Ellinger, or is that not the case? I don't know. Now, Jeff Saturday wasn't here when that that statement was made, and that was probably the one argument I had against what they were doing when the owner ordered that, you know, Sam be number one and, and Ryan, again, because he was injured, went to three. 
what they should have said is, you know, Matt Ryan's hurt. He's going to miss a couple games, so Sam's going to quarterback, and then we'll reevaluate. That's not what they said. Right. And that was their mistake. So, and then Jeff comes in, and all of a sudden he apparently had the option that Frank Reich didn't in going back to Matt Ryan. Now, if Frank could still be here, would would he have had the freedom to go back to Ryan? I don't know. It's they they've just so mishandled this quarterback situation. They just have, and and Ryan's made it tough because of the way he's played, and and maybe Ellinger too. Because again, although I, again with two games, I'm not sure what kind of you know evaluation you can really draw on that. But they mishandled it, and here's where they are, and you've got a quarterback that gives you the best chance to win, and he leads the league in it with 18 turnovers. It's just difficult. Again, would Foles be better? I don't know because he's taken like two snaps this year. He's probably been jerked around more than anybody on the quarterback depth chart. But uh, to me, it's week to week. It, it just is. And that's not because they maybe want to see what Ellinger has, but it's just because they want to go week to week and see – Again, who gives them the best chance that week? But in my mind, Ryan will be the quarterback the rest of the season unless he just goes off the deep end and keeps throwing these two and three interceptions a game on all this, and and he sort of forces your hand. Mike Chappell joining us on the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline. Motor Shop and Fishers, motorshop.com, all your snowblowers, commercial, residential mowers, plus service, pallet tools, and more. They have it for you at the Motor Shop and Fishers. You can follow Chappie at mchappell 51 Chap, I guess the reason that I ask about Matt Ryan is because, like, I'm with you, Chap. I the season's over. I, I've joked about that a couple times this week. Just keep doing what you're doing, baby. You'll be fine. You don't need to worry about right. tanking. Like to your point, they're they're doing a good job of just doing that each and every week. Anyway, what is in your mind the picture moving forward over these next four weeks? If it is Matt Ryan, he still has another year on his contract. I think Kevin Bowen, uh, maybe a couple others, asked him today or earlier this week about. If he's thought about next year at all, I know he said he's not. He, he's just trying to make it to each week and just take it day by day, as you would expect from him. But with how they utilize him these next four weeks, does that impact where you see him on this roster next season since he is under contract? Only if he really starts playing <laughs> really badly, uh, you know, worse than what he is. Because it's it's the one thing that people need to realize, and we've mentioned it before, is it's easy to get rid of people. You can fire them, whatever, and it's tougher to replace them. Yep. Well, everybody anticipates, as you know, as they realistically should, is they're going to go out and try to find a quarterback in the draft, whether that's first round, second round, whatever. It just depends on how things fall and who takes quarterbacks ahead of them. I think they're like seventh or eighth in the draft order now. But that guy's not going to be ready to play. Right. He's just not. So you're going to have to have somebody – hold the fort, if not, you know, maybe all year. And and if if it, if it you want to get rid of Ryan, he's due 18 million guaranteed regardless of where he is. And if he's on the roster in March, it's an, it's an extra 17 million. So, you know, do you think he can be the guy next year for, you know, 35 million over an extra 17? And if not, fine, you cut him, you owe him 18, you save 17. And then you need a quarterback. So there you are again trying to find another free agent quarterback unless you believe that either Foles or Ellinger can be that that bridge, which I I don't know how you can really believe that. So then you go and 
you know, will Marcus Mariota be out there? Will Derek Carr be out there? Will whomever be out there? Which is what you're trying to get off that carousel anyway. So it's not as easy to say, well, we're just going to get rid of Ryan because he costs too much and all this. Because if you do, then you've got to replace him. And like I say, it's easy to cut guys. It's harder to replace them, as we've seen with with this five quarterbacks in five years, six quarterbacks if you count Ellinger. So I, 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 in, in about a month ago, I thought I thought he would be back just just for why I argued that, and now I really don't know. I really don't. Hey, chap, switching gears for a second to wide receiver. Big news of yesterday: T.Y. Hilton's back in the league going to the Dallas Cowboys for their little playoff run. Did you anticipate, I guess, a year ago that he still wanted to play? And secondly, is this a thing where, you know, could the Colts have had him this year and they just decided to move on? Probably they could have had him back if they would have offered him enough money. I'm sure that they didn't offer him much. If anything, I don't know. They, you know, Chris Ballard always kept telling us, you know, I think he can still play, and it would have been in a much reduced role in different role here, uh, and which is what Ty apparently again he either he either wasn't asked or what he was being offered wasn't enough. And we always used to get mixed mixed uh, signals from Ty to where he thought he could still play, but maybe it was time. Remember when he had the neck issue last year to start the season? Yeah. He said he really thought about retirement, but this will be a great situation for him. I mean, he's not going in there to be the guy. I mean, this, this is a, you know, they've got the receiver kind of pecking order down. And this is a team that's relying on the run game a lot more. So he can be that situational guy. I think he can, he can offer you a handful of plays and good for him. You'd love to see him kind of finish with, with something, Playoffs or maybe more. I mean, there's no reason Dallas can't win at all. They've they've got that type of a team, and maybe he's that missing piece. Their passing him hasn't been quite what they wanted to be after they didn't resign. They resign or trade uh, Cooper. So uh, good for him. And uh, I I don't know that he thinks he can play another two or three years, but this could be that one one last shot. And I'd really love to see T.Y. go out with a bang. And if Dallas gets there and wins something big, I think he could have a, be a, a decent part of it. Chap, I know that you're going to get this question a lot over the next four weeks, and you know we'll, we'll toss it to you as the season unfolds. I wish we could super sim to get to the four weeks. We would have an answer to this question, but we can't. we got to play it out, see how it rolls. For you and, and the rumblings at West 56, is, is the presumed thought for 2023 that, particularly in the draft, Chris Ballard is the head architect of this and the struggles over the last week or last weeks, I should say, with them losing six to the last seven, how much of that is a reflection on not just Jeff Saturday as an interim, but what Chris Bowers put together here? Yeah, I've always thought about how you divvy up the blame, if that's the word, and is it 60-40 GM or personnel coaching or, or whatever. I mean, they've all had a hand in this. The owner, GM, and, and head coach all have a hand in this quarterback mess they're in. From, from Rivers to Wentz to, you know, to where they are now. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 I really know, I believe that Jim Irsay trusts and respects Chris Ballard. 
I really, I, I honestly believe that. He sat up there at, at that press conference and said, you know, of course he's going to be here, and that's not even in my conscious mind or whatever it was. Well, two weeks earlier, he said that he and Frank and Chris were in a good spot, and then he fires Frank. So <laughs> think things change. I, I, 50-50, I guess, because, you know, the owner's going to have to decide that the GM who's had a role in, in not making this roster good enough is good enough to fix it. And that's a tough question that the owner has to has to make and, and decide what to do. And I, I know he doesn't want to change. When, when you change head coaches, there's obviously change. When you change the GM, it really alters where you're going and how you do things, the coaching staff and offense and defense and all that. So, But at the same time, what, what they've done is not been good enough. It's not been good enough. What's well, a one playoff win since he's been here? Um, so I, I, I wish I had a better idea, and I don't. I just know that the owner really, when he says he, he, he trusts and has respect for, for Chris Ballard, I, I believe him. Now, whether that means he's going to put the franchise's future and keep it in his hands, I don't know. And if I'm Chris Ballard, I mean, he's not going to resign. But right. he's also de- dealing right now with an owner who the three biggest decisions they've made over the last, I don't know, since January have been unilateral by the owner, which is not the way a GM wants to, to run a franchise. So it, it's just, again, it's, it's a mess of their own creation. And I'm really curious what they do at GM because that 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 kind of impacts everything. You know, with, with if, if he's still here, then, then his role in, in hiring a new coach, whether it's Jeff Saturday or someone else, it's going to start with that GM. And, you know, there's so much good that Chris Ballard has done. He, he really has. Yet they're, yet they're a mess at quarterback, left tackle, and pass rush. They haven't got that totally solved. And those are the three biggest areas. So it's, it's a really, really tough situation. Chap, in your mind and from what you <clears throat> sense – do you really believe that Ursay still, with his gut, trusts and really thinks that Jeff Saturday could be the head coach of this football team next year? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That, that It's hard trying to read Jim Ursay. I don't think that this has gone quite the way he had hoped it would. You know, they got the initial boost against the Raiders, and then they almost won, and they, you know, and then not so much. Uh, I don't know, and I don't know what Jeff can do over the last month to either really solidify his his standing or or hurt it. And I think he could hurt it by if they just went and got a couple more blowout losses. I don't think that's going to happen. He, he's a he's a quality leader. He just doesn't have the experience. And he he talked today about he wants to he, he wants to pursue this job in the off season. If he's offered a chance to interview, he wants to do it. You know, and it could very well have been that he got in here and said, "Man, this was more than I thought. It's not what I want to do." But that's not—that's not what he said today. He's found out that this is something he's got a passion for. He thinks he's good at it. Whether the owner will—you know—maybe the owner has decided that he's my guy, and they'll go through the Rooney Rule process and interview guys, and it'll be Jeff Saturday. I, I don't know. I sort of doubt that. But if nothing else, Jeff Saturday still wants to be the coach. He wants to be the full-time coach. 
and that's the first step. And I'm sure when the time comes, he'll interview and and do a real good job on the interview process because that's who he is. Uh, we just we just had to see if the owner believes that, and maybe who else is available. You know, you never know who who you might want to get until you know who's who's wants to throw the hat in the ring and wants to try to help revive this franchise. Chap, I understand that the South is the worst division in football. You know that as well as I do. But does it matter at all to the folks at West 56 the idea that throughout this chaotic season, the Jaguars of all teams might be ahead of schedule and could somehow steal the South and uh, make the playoffs this year? Because the only reason I say it matters is that division, their only path, at least in my mind, this year and maybe next year, is the division. The wild card, there's too many good teams ahead of them to get in in one of those wild card spots with it being a division only or a, a division win only playoff berth on the line for these teams what does that say about where the Colts are at if the Jaguars are able to steal the south in these final four weeks well the Jaguars have a quarterback I mean he, right. he, you know right. Trevor Lawrence has been up and down but whenever you got the guy he, he gives you a chance he just does you know in, in Tennessee's kind of dying off and, and Tannehill's been banged up and, and, and all that and and Houston, you know, they're just they're, they're just flogging away, and you know they'll get their quarterback, the first pick in the draft. But until you get the guy, you're you're just you're just flailing away. And what we've seen for the most part this year is Trevor Lawrence has taken that that step forward, which we thought he would with a legitimate quarterback going from Urban Meyer to you know Doug Peterson. And as long as you've got that guy, he, he gives you that chance. And that's why I think looking forward, if I'm projecting who has the best chance of, I don't want to say season control, but of being the front runner in this division is Jacksonville. Because, again, it looks like Trevor Lawrence, with another year or two, is going to be in that group. And that's what is so upsetting to the to the Colts fan base, I think, is these guys really have no direction at, at quarterback at all. And you look around and you see Joe Burrow, you see – Jalen Hurts, you see all these, you know, Justin Herbert and Josh Allen, and and the Colts fan base says, "Hey, I want one of those." <laughs> well, you know, they're, they're hard to get. You know, that, that's as this franchise is seen with the long years of Manning and Luck, it's hard to get them. And when you get them, they make a difference and and they make you relevant for ten, twelve, fourteen years. And until this team can get that stability. Long-term stability at quarterback. It's I would much rather have a very very flawed roster with a quarterback, which they've had here. I think Luck had a lot of flawed rosters and he was that good, as opposed to a really a great roster and a quarterback that I that I just don't trust uh, because that quarterback can really cover up a lot of flaws, and that's why I say until these guys get that solved. It's going to be a while, and again, the, the fact that they get if they get their long term quarterback that they believe in next year, it's still going to be a year or two process before they can kind of really be where they want to be. So, Colts fans kind of got to strap in and, and accept the fact that this is not going to be a quick turnaround. It's just not. Chap, last thing for me to preview Saturday just a little bit. Saturday afternoon football in Minnesota against the Vikings. You know, one of the bright spots of this year has been the Colts' defense, not in the fourth quarter against Dallas, certainly, but many other times. Uh, is the defense capable enough 
uh, being able to contain an offense that features Kirk Cousins, who is relishing with Dalvin Cook as his running back and Justin Jefferson as his number one wide receiver. Can the Colts make it a game on Saturday? Oh, they'll, they'll make it a game because that's that's what they do. But, you know, Justin Jefferson is probably going to be the oh, second best receiver, maybe the, first, maybe the best receiver. I mean, you know, Devontae Adams is quality. But Justin Jefferson, what is this, his second or third year? And he's just tearing it up. I'm sure we're going to see Stephon Gilmore on him a lot. But they can also do stuff on the, in the ground game. And Kirk Cousins runs hot and cold, and when he's hot, he's really good. Uh, but you just don't know what I see that the that the uh, Vikings are the first ten win team, and they're a minus in, in scoring differential. The, the opponents have outscored them by one point, which is crazy for a team that's ten and three or ten and two, whatever. Ten and three. So it just shows you that yes, they, they've had their moments, and what they've done, they've won the close games when they've had the chance, and for the most part, the Colts haven't. And I know the Dallas game sort of skews things, but but the Colts have been in most games with a chance either to, to make the, the score at the end of the game or two or three times for the defense to close the door. And a couple times the defense has, but too often they haven't. So there is a fine line, but again, I go back to what I said before, bad teams find ways to lose. They just do. And that's where this team is with 4-8-1. Right now they're a bad team. No arguments here, Chap. I appreciate you making time for us as always. Always appreciate your work on Fox 59 and CBS 4, and we will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. That's Mike Chappell. You can follow him on Twitter at mchappell51. The Dean, Mike Chappell, on Fox 59 and CBS 4. Always appreciate his work covering the Colts. We're going to step away. When we come back, we'll have more on... The sports news from earlier today, including Purdue naming their next head coach. Hand out some bets as we roll along as well. And look ahead with the rest of the week as the Colts prepare for the Vikings in a Saturday showdown with Jeff Saturday and company. Jimmy Cook alongside Brennan King here on The Fan. Eddie's getting to be in a country movie. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All these 97.1 Hank FM promos got me in. I I wish we could have the cameras on during breaks because you're just belting. It's cross-branding right there. Tip of the cap to him. Good work. (laughs) You are a team player, Mr. Garrison. I'm a company man. (laughs) You wear many hats. Ryan Walters is the new head coach of the Purdue Boilermakers. If you do not know who Ryan Walters is, he's 36 years old. Coming over from the Illinois Fighting Illini was their defensive coordinator. The number one ranked defense in college football. So not bad. But, Jimmy, as we talked about to lead off the show, if you are a Purdue Boilermaker fan, do you need a little bit more flair than Mr. Walters? 
look, you always want more flair, right? Regardless of who you root for, you always want to hear big flashy names and everything. And that's great. Like for instance, you know, um, I don't know if this is on a Purdue, well, it probably wouldn't have been because I, I have to go back and remember where the timelines mapped up, but I'm sure there's plenty of coaches or plenty of programs across America that would have loved have Deion Sanders come into town like Colorado is being the beneficiaries of over there. Yes, Flash will always win out at a time, but BK, you and I know this and fans know this. There's a difference between winning a press conference and going out there and putting together results. And you look at just the overall body of work from Coach Walters. I mean, he has a very, in terms of where he's been across the country, very diverse stops across the way in terms of um, different pipelines he's been a part of. Arizona, Oklahoma, North Texas, Memphis, and Missouri. He was defensive coordinator there for four years before he came to Purdue. So, he knows the lay of the land of college football. He knows how to command and operate with the defense. You and I talked about this in our opening segment to start the day. I defended, and even though there were different circumstances, Marcus Freeman a year ago as a first-year head coach, I I don't I don't buy into that as much. Like you look, you can tell when somebody's in over their head as a first-year head coach. Uh, look at Nathaniel Hackett. Even though the Broncos did not give up and lay down against the Chiefs over the weekend, over the course of the season, Nathaniel Hackett has looked like a guy that's in over his head that it, maybe it was not time for him to be head coach of franchise. It's also not a great team, by the way. They're built on uh, Russell Wilson carrying them to greatness like they expected when they brought in Peyton. That's been John Elway's philosophy. It's kind of retooling quarterbacks uh, similarly to... He also loves tall quarterbacks. Yeah, too. Yeah, right. But <laughs> anyway, the point is, you know, first year, first year, whatever it is, quarterbacks, head coaches... You don't really know what you're going to get out of them. I like people that are in college athletics that have experience, even if it's not head coaching experience, experiencing with Power 5 schools and experiences across different pipelines to a point that at the very least after I'm like, man, that's not flashy. I'm like, okay, let's see what Coach Walters can do. A quarterback over six foot five to John Elway is like telling Chris Ballard that he can draft a pass <laughs> rusher in the first round. Uh, there you go, Jimmy. Messi! Oh! Yeah, do you, do you, could you, could, for the coming days, Eddie, could you please find one of those goal calls and just have it on standby? Messi then, in the net, uh, one nothing, uh, one nil, Argentina over Croatia. I don't want BK. Yes, come on. I don't, I don't want uh, Eddie to get mad at me again or Greg Rakestraw to call me and leave me an angry voicemail. Uh, one How nil, could you do that? Uh, Argentina <laughs> over Croatia, currently 34th minute there. Um, but that's my answer to that on Purdue side of things. That, yeah, sure, you want flashy, but. If I'm a Purdue fan, I trust Mike Babinski and his search process. And even though Coach Walters was only there for two years, you have a mind in the Big Ten that has shown results on the defensive end. Now it is how he builds out his staff, how he retains players that are in the portal right now from Jeff Brom's departure. And of course, Purdue fans, Brian Brom guiding the ship for the Citrus Bowl, enjoy that. Like Enjoy the bowl game you earned, and then once that's all done... Then you switch to next season and figure out what is next for this program. But right now, uh, you finally have the guy. Now he can get to work and you judge it based on not just the merits of what he's done in the past, but what he's going to do at Purdue. I'd like to put a wager in when they introduced or when they end up introducing uh, Coach Walters that we will get a quote from Mike Babinski that says something to the accolade of, he blew us away in the interview. <laughs> Every single 
coaching staff hire where there's a guy that you're like, why the hell did he get that job? Or what's this guy's accolades? It's always we, he blew us. Nate Bjorkren. When he, when he took the Pacers job with Kevin Pritchard. Oh, well, he, I, I he, hope he, we're not he, talking he about Brian us. Walters. I, I, I really, could you imagine so? Um, I do want to get back to the Colts conversation for a second too, Jimmy, of what Mike Chappell said. So you're basically going to pay Matt Ryan millions of dollars to go away if that's the case next year. Nick Foles would be Matt Ryan maybe to a lesser extent. You don't know what you want in Sam Ellinger. So let's say, as we talked about with Dane Brugler earlier, the Colts have the number seven overall pick. If the Texans at one select either Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, you're going to run into trouble because there are going to be teams from behind you that are going to want to jump ahead of you to go draft a quarterback, potentially with the means more to do so than you, with more capital, whether that's draft picks or the willingness to do so. So if you're the Indianapolis Colts, you might have to settle for somebody not named Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud if those two end up being the top two quarterbacks available, which means you would settle for a Will Levis or an Anthony Richardson or a Hendon Hooker, somebody along those lines where they might may not be ready yet for the National Football League. Mike Chappell's point was, if you select one of those guys, Mike said, they're not going to be ready to play immediately. You and I talked so, about that yesterday. Exactly. So you must go back to the quarterback carousel. Well, the quarterback carousel is what makes fans around here want to absolutely just just turn off their TV and throw their phone at their television. And the quarterback carousel is what has hampered this team for five or six years straight because they just can't get it right. So what tells you, Jimmy Cook, that if they go back to the quarterback carousel and they need somebody to mentor an Anthony Richardson, a Will Levis, a Hendon Hooker, what tells you that would work? The idea of having somebody sit behind a guy for a year. Is that what you're like? Yeah, what tells me yeah, that would work? Yeah. I mean, there's been examples of it working in the NFL. Even Mahomes is the first one that comes to mind. He sat a whole year. Uh, Rogers sat behind Favre. Like, there, there, there's precedent for that. But, Brennan, my, my bigger issue with all of this is that, and, and this is what's frustrating. Like, Chap said it best, and, and Colts fans need to kind of understand this. And I don't know if the Colts ownership, I don't know if Jim Irsay is aware of it or if. Chris Bauer realized that this is not, barring, let's say they take Stroud or they take Young and they start him right away, barring him having instant success like Justin Herbert did or instant success, Patrick Mahomes didn't start right away, but he started his second year, barring it being an instant solution, this is the guy, 2-0 Argentina Edward, over Croatia. Edward, do you have it? <laughs> I think he was, Okay. <laughs> Ole, 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 ole. All right. All right. Uh, that was perfect. That was very well done. This is fantastic. Very well done. My larger frustration here is what Colts fans need to understand is this is not a team that is a player away from being a, a contender. I get it's frustrating to watch, but Chap's right. This is not a fix next year. This is not no. a this team is suddenly going to be uh, 12 and 6 a season from now unless they get lucky at quarterback. And the faster that Colts fans understand, there's a difference between lowering the bar of expectations and understanding reality of this team. I don't care about past regimes. I don't care about Chris Ballard as general manager right now. I'm talking about whoever is in that seat next year, whether it's Ballard or whether it is whoever, this team is not a player away. And because they've gone through this Band-Aid process of... Rivers and Wentz and Ryan, 
name any quarterback that's been under center the last five years. The reason that they are in this boat is because they've continued to try to band-aid the thing, and they've gotten older, and they've gotten worse in some areas. They've had some hits in the draft as well, but this isn't a team that we're, unlike when Andrew Luck stepped away, you were like, oh, this is still a contender. They're, they're still in the mix. We band-aid quarterback, we'll be fine. That's no longer this team anymore. So it sucks, and it stinks that you're going to have to say, you're asking me, how does it look for a quarterback that's going to be a stopgap for the QB of your future, you got to deal with it. Tough. Like, that's just the boat you're in. And if it means sacrificing one more bad season for the idea for C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young to sit behind somebody and learn, that's how it goes in the NFL sometimes. I'd give one season for the opportunity to have the next 15 years be stable at the quarterback position. I, I, but again, I, it's a moot point until the season ends. Until the season ends, for the next four weeks, it is what does Matt Ryan bring to the table? Is he a guy you can trust somebody learning behind, assuming they keep him another year or he doesn't retire? And where does their draft pick line up when they inevitably go one and three over these final four? I'll say this before we go to break. Uh, it's just my concern. With the track record of what this year is gone, it's easy to say, sign a veteran, Draft a draft a Bryce Young hypothetically. Okay, so draft a Bryce Long, Bryce Young, and you put a veteran ahead of him. I don't believe with the track record of this season that not only the fan base would allow you. Let's say you start two and six. I don't think the fan base would allow you to continue to start a Jimmy Garoppolo, a Derek Carr, if you go two and six when you have Bryce Young behind him. But even more so. I don't trust that the owner would allow that to happen, knowing what happened this year with Ellinger to Ryan. I just don't trust that they would let that happen when you invest so much in the quarterback position. And let's say you go a two and six, a three and seven to begin the year. Well, then you go baptism by fire and you look at what the Bears did, and Field is out there right away. Okay, that's great. Where are the Bears? Like you're seeing progression. That's awesome. Like I'm not fully sold on Fields, but yes, he's the best, most promising thing the Bears have had under center in years. A similar boat that the Colts are in right now. So, BK, I'm not against saying take the quarterback and then start him right away. Those are philosophical choices for whichever coaching staff or general manager is in here. And you're right. You run the risk of uh, which happened when they took uh, uh, when they took Trey Lance. People yeah, are calling yeah. for Jimmy G's job. Right. like, and the, and the 49ers are a way better organization in terms of stability in the here and now than the Colts are. So you're right. Those are real concerns. But at this point, if I'm a Colts fan, I don't care about if it's a veteran or if it's baptism by fire for a rookie. I want the guy that this organization and this management group believes in. I would love that to happen. Sports fans are a different breed, Jimmy. You and I are both sports fans, which I understand. If you invest your time and money into an organization, you have the right to say whatever you want. But I just do not believe, again, that the fan base would be able to stay patient enough with that happening, knowing what you have. By the way, this is a conversation for another day, and we'll leave this for another day. I, I never thought Justin Fields should have been on the field as soon as he was. He took an absolute beating, and I think it's a miracle that he is not somehow more seriously injured. The Bears should feel very, very lucky. That's me just from a Chicagoan perspective, native Chicagoan, saying that. We'll come back next. We'll get some bets from James, and we'll tell you about what's coming up later on this week here on the program. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to The Fan on a Tuesday afternoon. 
Plenty of bets to hand out and some updates on some bets we already made. Plenty of action around the NBA tonight, BK. Yeah, it is a another good sport. You know, I feel like you always get some pretty solid sports nights around Christmas, no? We're getting close to that time. Indy Classic coming up this weekend, and you look at the slate of, of the NBA Christmas Day matchups that are coming up. Yeah, it's going to be gonna be a lot of fun these next two weeks for sure. All right, Jimmy, what you got? The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Just two plays tonight on the plays of the day. Going to take the Golden State Warriors plus four as they are in Milwaukee against the Bucks. Also going to take the Utah Jazz plus two. They host the West leading surprise story of the season. New Orleans Pelicans, what should be a fun matchup tonight. Definitely a league pass match for Sir within that matchup. Uh, yesterday's plays, regrettably, Lost in every way imaginable. <laughs> PKs, Kyler Murray going down, and Pacers let us down against the Heat. So 0-3 yesterday, 0-3 on the week. Plays on Twitter, of course, at the J. Cook. Gentlemen, uh, we're already doing well, though, today in terms of live show bets. Messi has scored. Checkmark. Argentina is winning. Checkmark with a pencil. What do you guys got today? Eddie, I'll let you go first. I'm going to go in that same game, Jimmy, that you have some action on with the Jazz. I'm going to take Zion Williamson over... I don't know what his points are right now, but earlier I got it. It's like 27 and a half, I think. I don't know what it's up to now, but yeah, it's at 27 and a half now. I'll take the over there. Zion has just been an absolute animal this last five games or so. Uh, The interior defense for the Utah Jazz is not great now that there is a departure of Rudy Gobert. Give me big Z over 27 and a half. Brendan, you got anything over there? What's the hockey slate looking like? So... I've been one and one in both days I've given you guys bets. So I'm going to give you one goal scorer for the night. I'm going to go back to our well from our friends down in Sunrise, Florida. The Florida Panthers host the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight. Matthew Kachuk has 40 points through his first 26 games as a Panther. And give me Matty Kachuk to put one in tonight. Plus 122 and anytime goal scorer. Chucky has been a big, big piece of the Panthers this year. And I'll take Kachuk to score. And news that people do not care about, but as I selfishly do, uh, we're getting closer to Colts Vikings, the voice, radio voice of the Vikings, Paul Allen, going to join us tomorrow. Looking forward to getting his take on things, including some of his stories. He's gone. Uh, uh, viral as recently went, as this yeah, year with say. his call of uh, Bills Vikings last month, uh, including when Josh Allen fumbled in the end zone and the Vikings were able to come back and win that thing in overtime and been the longtime voice, had a number of, of historic calls for the Vikings over the years. Looking forward to getting his thoughts on the team. Uh, interested to ask him uh, what it's like to watch a, a competent team on offense. So I'm looking forward to, to that conversation with him as well because I'm envious of that, as I'm sure Colts fans are. And then just how they view the Vikings after the loss to the Lions. Again, it is a very much in any given Sunday league, as we all know, BK. Uh, you mentioned yesterday if the Lions are a wagon or not. It's a division game. It's a tough matchup, and Vikings took one on the chin, and now the Colts are the uh, <laughs> the next in line for them to get out those frustrations. Have you seen any given Sunday? I have. Great movie. Yes, awesome movie. Life's just like football is a game of inches. Amen. 
Uh, but anyway, Paul It's Allen. the guy that's willing to die. <laughs> That's going to win that edge. Yeah, you know, I'm really okay, looking Al. forward to right. it. Okay, Al. I, I'm looking forward to talking with Paul, and I've never spoken with Mr. Allen before, but I respect anybody that's in the play-by-play game because it is a grind, and everybody, what I love most about play-by-play guys is everybody's got their own story, everybody's got their own path. I, I Somebody told me a long time ago that doing play-by-play is like a snowflake because there there is not a career like any other. Everybody's got a... Unique career. Everybody's had multiple stops. Everybody has grinded for it. Everybody's got crazy, you know, either late night ride stories or like some kind of like just crazy story about a hotel. I mean, I, I love hearing the stories of the play by play guys. It'll be fun to talk to Paul Allen. Looking forward to chatting with him. And of course, we'll continue to have action throughout this week. Uh, a little preview towards next week. Uh, dates we'll have as we get closer, but. Uh, Brandon Gawden is going to join us, one of our favorite broadcasters, next week to get us ready for uh, the college football bowl season as well as the holiday as a whole and some college hoops. And then Ryan Rucco is going to join us next week as well of ESPN and Yes Network with Christmas Day matchups in the NBA. And then get the national thought on where the Pacers are. Uh, We didn't talk about them as much other than our conversation with Alex Golden. Uh, I'm kind of with... Coach Carlisle, BK, uh, I'm not hitting a panic button by any means with Tyrese Halliburton. I know he had a rough shooting night last night, but uh, it's plus nine as we still plus seven last night. As Coach mentioned, he impacted the game in a, in a number of different ways. And when your coach sets a goal for you, obviously you want to get the win, but you can't be giving up 136 a night. And they didn't do that. They found themselves in a slugfest last night against the Heat. Didn't get the result they wanted, but anytime you see that level of shift in terms of your defensive mentality, after a tough night against Brooklyn, it's at least some positive takeaways there. This is what you sign up for when you have a young and fun team. You, you got to grind. When you sign up for the grind, you got to deal with the grind. And there are going to be times when things feel really good, like winning on the road in Golden State. There are going to be times when things feel really bad, like losing to a bunch of G League dudes from the Brooklyn Nets and you give a, uh, give up 136. Uh, th- look, that's, that's what happens. And there's so much parity in that league, especially, that sometimes anybody can win on any given night. So I trust Rick Carlisle at at the controls. I mean, the guy is a Hall of Fame coach for a reason. The guy won a championship for a reason. Is he going to bring one here? I mean, that's a long, long way in the future. I think Rick Carlisle expressed just how much he loves being here at the moment when he talked about how much fun he's having with this roster. And maybe it's, I think I heard on Pacers Weekly, it was Mark Boyle, I believe, talking with, and Eddie, you produced that show, right? It was Mark Boyle talking with Rick, and Rick alluded to having a uh, a young daughter. And his daughter is relatively the same age as a lot of the guys he has on his roster. So maybe that has rejuiced Rick a little bit. And I'll tell you what, a Rick Carlisle that's passionate about what he does and a Rick Carlisle that's rejuvenated, I want that guy on my side. Yeah, he's hyped, man. I mean, I, even the, even after the loss last night, like you can tell how much he cares about this organization and that the reason that, in general, the Simons brought him back here was because they, they believe in what he does as a coach and what he meant to this franchise in the past. And obviously has a championship rig to show for as well with Dallas. Uh, BK, you talked about on the NFL side of things, people clamoring for a backup quarterback to be moved as the starting QB. I'm interested to see how the rest of the season unfolds before Pacers fans are as a whole are wanting to see Benedict Matherin in the starting lineup as a permanent stay. I know he's been in there what what twice this year? 
Eddie once, just once. That, that's a fascinating area to see as the Pacers continue to grow when they decide to turn him loose, if at all, this season. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun when it does happen. And again, when you when you have a young team, um, you know you, you just got to live with the good and bad moments. It's the nature of the game. You mentioned the grind. Name of the game. Just as you're trying to build, have a young, fun team, Pacers definitely better off than they were a year ago. We'll see if they're closer to Especially two years ago. Indeed. We'll we'll see if they're any closer to the team that we saw to start the season or if this is more middle of the pack and just a young team that's finding itself as the season continues unfolding. Uh, Alex Golden, Dane Brugler... Ryan Payton, the coach at Illinois State. Mike Chappell, I want to thank all of them for joining us today. You can find uh, the podcast as well and have it on 1075thefan.com. Uh, tomorrow, Paul Allen, the voice of the Minnesota Vikings, is going to join us as we get closer to Colts Vikes. We'll talk Pacers Warriors outlook as well. Brendan King to my right, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. I'm Jimmy Cook. John is next. Stay here right here on The Fan.